That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails Famous Fatalities Edition. I am your host, Christy Oxborough, and with me, as always, the Thelma to my Louise, the Goop to my Jade Egg, Lauren Ash. How you doing? I am great. How are you doing? Uh, you know, <laughs> I've had like a, a a song stuck in my head uh, for days, and so I've been irritating my family with it because it'll be silent and I'll just start singing it, but I can only sing part of it um, because there's not the best word in it. Oh. But um, I would like to preface this again with I do not have TikTok, nor do I want it. Sure. But I can't stop when the videos come up and you just can't stop. And then once there's a trend, everybody kind of starts watching and doing the same videos. So all day, It'll just be silent, and then I'll just go, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos, and then it goes quiet again, and then I'm like, Zuckerberg and Gates and Buffett, amateurs can fucking suck it. I can't stop, to the point my teenager came upstairs and went, you need to get off the internet. <laughs> it's like, well, understood. here's why you and I share a brain. Yep. I have been singing the same song around the house constantly. I also yeah. because it's all over TikTok. Yeah. Um now and it's from that Bo Burnham special. I know. I did well, I did not know. I I told my husband I was I was trying to describe it. And I said it sounds exactly like something Weird Al would have made in the eighties. Specifically in the eighties. And he was like, Okay. So I did a Google and I was like, Oh, it's Bo Burnham. And then I stopped and I'm like, he'd probably be really flattered that I put him and Weird Al in the same breath so i'm like i'm gonna leave my uh leave it there but i have not seen it yet it is on my to watch list but Look, i, do I was it. i was very skeptical about inside 
Um, it's on Netflix for those who have, have or haven't seen it. Uh, and it's great. It really is. I was like, okay, sure. Everybody loves it. It's so good. How good? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's there. It's there. <laughs> it's great. It's like, it's, it's fantastic. I have no notes. No. no notes, Bo. No notes. Well, and again, if we're, one of us has seen it and one of us hasn't, but we're both singing that damn song. It just, there is a catchy to it that I can't oh, yeah. stop. Um, like, people will only chuckle so much when I randomly sure. bring it up throughout the day, but they get to a point where they're just like, you need to stop. Well, and I know that, but in my heart, there is a song that that can't be shushed and just let it happen. Like, I, I will say... Last night, I stayed up a little later than my husband. I was working on stuff. And he was like, oh, what time did you come to bed? And I was like, oh, how long? What time did you go to bed? And I can't remember what time he told me, but he told me. And I went, okay, um, then about two hours and 16 minutes later. And he's like, that is so specific. And I was like, yeah, I went through the Mamma Mia movie soundtrack twice. And it's an hour eight. So... <laughs> He's like, that's psychotic, but okay. And Mamma Mia soundtrack, you think twice in a row would be enough? Not for this lady. Apparently, song in her heart. I put in earbuds today because my middle son uh, had a friend over and that raises the noise level. The friend was silent. Sure. It was my kids that felt the need to bring them, bring themselves up um, for reasons I'll never know. But um, it got very loud in my workspace so i just earbuds and mama mia soundtrack a little bit loud and i just played that sucker for approximately six hours while i worked i don't know why it's because i love meryl i think is what it comes down to and that movie is just such a joy but um i like it i respect I, it i can't get enough and that's just where we're at. That's just where we're at. And then yes. anytime a song goes quiet in my brain is like Zuckerberg and <laughs> like, you know, it's like it just I, so I it's do, still there. Yeah. I do wonder if he's done one of those like science of music things. Cause there's some oh. people that like there's certain things that you can do that like are extremely addictive or whatever. If he has, I commend him because it worked. It, it's yeah. not a judgment. Uh but yeah, that that thing is an earworm for me too that I yeah. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. Bezos. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I walk around saying it all the time. Again, we share a brain and we're in two separate countries, which is yeah. quite amazing. Well, I will say this, and I apologize to my husband because he heard this earlier and reacted poorly. So I'm oh. going to try it on a new audience. Oh, um, great. <laughs> and so I apologize to him because he now has to hear it twice because bless well. his heart, he listens to the show. Um, one of my cats is named Evie. Yeah. Uh, I chose the name. It was just, I don't know why. I specifically wanted a cat named Evie. Uh, and I found a face that fit and it worked. Um, and uh, <laughs> my middle son wanted to get in on the naming game, but I was like, by the way, we have two cats. By the way, these are their names. Because I just decided if I'm getting the cats and I'm cleaning up after the cats, I'm going to name the cats. I don't know why. Yeah. So my my... My oldest and my middle son gave the cats middle names. And the joke has become basically we call them by their middle names a lot. Um, 
but my my middle son was like, well, Evie, well, her middle name is Peanut. So she's Evie Peanut. Uh, so I started going into Evie, Evie Peanut. Like, and I was so proud of it. And my husband was like, you need to stop. And then I went for this old classic uh, Canadian shout out um, with Evie Peanut and our other cat is Cheddar, for those who don't know. And I did a Peanut, Peanut Evie, Cheddar. Yes! And I was so <laughs> proud of that reference that I was like, really? Nobody? It's like I'm in a comedy club because I, I will say things throughout the day and then I look around and I'm like, is this thing on? Guys. And I'm just waiting for like cackling or something. This is what you've done to me is I'm waiting for someone to yeah. to laugh at my stuff and they, they, Look, don't. they don't. I'm so sorry, but if yeah. it makes you feel any better, it's the same in this house. There's so many times where I'll be like, huh? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, that was funny. And he's like, it was funny. And I then won't let it go. And I'll be like, I think it deserved a laugh. <laughs> the laugh riot we would have. Just give us a month. Let us be locked away. I would say a cabin, but I'd like something beachfront. <laughs> oh, sure. Beach house. Yeah. Where we can where we can beach or mm -hmm. pool. Yeah. But also nonstop laughs. And yep. then a little bit of weird owl going on because we're there are gonna be songs that get made up. I'm not calling myself Weird Al for that specific instead of saying Jeffrey Bezos saying Evie Peanut or Peanut Evie. Uh my point is uh it's it's on the cusp of what Weird Al could do. It's not. No, I'm not even close to Weird Al. Of oh, course you are. He's adorable. Listen, give yourself give yourself a break. I think you're doing great. I think it was funny. Well, I appreciate that. I bet he gets laughs in his own home, but I bet he also doesn't get as many laughs as I think he does. Nobody does. Mm. I'm hilarious, by the way. Of course. <laughs> Of course you are. And also Spencer is very kind. I mean, he, he's yeah. told me multiple times, all the time, he tells me he thinks I'm a a living comedy legend is his quote, which is very, yeah. I mean, that's extremely flattering. But he doesn't laugh at half my jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not God, alone. Can you imagine what he'd think of you if he laughed at everything? Mm, yeah. I mean. If Lord. he laughed at everything, though, uh, maybe, I don't know, would I get sick of it? No. No. <laughs> as soon as I said it, I was like, what am I praise? saying? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> nope. No. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just... we. Have, that's like saying, oh, like if praise. he gave me too many gifts. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> there can never be uh, too much applause. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's what's happened in eight months of a podcast? Yep. Nine months? We could be at Nine. 11 months. I ten. didn't even know. We're pushing 10. Are we? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I have no idea. Or we're in 10. Whatever. God. Well, speaking of 10, I yeah. could use about 10. Uh, what are you drinking over there? <laughs> well, listen, I did the research for tonight, and I got to yeah. tell you, there is a 100% chance I will cry <laughs> during this episode. Of course. 100%. Of course. Mm -hmm. So I've stuck. I've stayed sober. I've got a Diet Coke in one hand, and I've got my vat of water in the other. Of course. Um, you know, which I know is out of character, but I was like, uh, first of all, I always get nervous, as, as our, our OG listeners know. 
if I even have a sip of alcohol and then try to read, I start to slur like crazy. So that's the first thing. And then second thing, I was like, if I have a mouthful of booze and try and get through this, it will go from being perhaps a gentle tear to being an all out sob. And I just, I have to try and avoid that. Sure. At all all costs. Um, You mean similar to the last episode where we almost had to stop recording because I was silently laughing and full crying so hard. Yes. <laughs> that I almost made us stop. But then I tried to rally and then it didn't work. And then I tried again. <laughs> uh, it's just a lot. Well, look, sober Sally. Yep. You're not alone. Sober sisters. What? I, I'm, I've just got a vat of, of Slurpee and, uh, I'm just, I wasn't feeling it today. I think there were just, uh, there was a lot of loudness in my home. And I was like, I just want quiet. So for the woman that was like, I could use about 10 drinks right now. Well, I have one the size of about 10 drinks. Um, And I mean, if 7-Eleven wants to sponsor, I'm open. I'm here. I'm listening. Let's start a communication. Let's start the conversation. Because, come on. I think it's interesting because when we started this podcast, I think we were under the impression that it was like, hey, true crime and cocktails, we can drink once a week. What's once a week? No prob. And then it turns into more. And then we have Patreon where we offer bonus episodes, patreon.com slash true crime and cocktails. And so then it's twice a week potentially. And then also sometimes we have the boozy brunch and we drink at that. And then it's... (laughs) And then suddenly Mm -hmm. you realize, like, I can't keep up with my own alcohol schedule. Yeah. Um, Before we started the podcast, I was about, I'm going to say, oh, maybe like a couple times a year. I was barely to the point of drinking at all. Uh, Very rarely. It ramped up a little bit in uh, the pandemic lockdown situation. Uh, once my husband and I realized, ooh, we like an Arbor Mist, and oh, it goes down. So that, oh, but even that, I think, was the lockdown since the podcast. But it was like, at first, it, again, you're like, once a week? Yeah, I could have a couple of cocktails once a week. Well, it just gets to a point where it's like, ooh. And it's also different to be like, you know what, I'm feeling... I'm feeling like a drink tonight. Let's go have a drink. Let's go do whatever. As compared to, as my husband at one point said to me, like, you you drink to go to work. <laughs> and it's like, yes, once you get to a point where it's like, yeah. I got to go to work, like scheduling your booze yeah. isn't nearly as fun as it sounds. So sometimes you do get to a point of like, ah, man, I need to stop. But don't think that the booze, no booze means no gold. I mean... We ain't getting soft. If that's what people are thinking. <laughs> Don't. I've already referred to last week's jade egg situation. Oh, yeah. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, which was the Glee <laughs> curse, first of all, what are you doing? Second of all, we went on a real tangent, which was such yeah. a joy. You got to you gotta go back and check that out. I've re-listened to it and laughed out loud so many times in that chunk. It's so funny. It's so funny. I would also like to note that um, when I was, because when one of us does the research, we do all the notes. 
when when I specifically do the research, you just show up and you're yourself. You can do this. Uh, when you do the research, I need to make myself notes on how to open and how to, you know, go to and from breaks, how to end the show, stuff like that, because I don't do this for a living, but now I do this for a living. Yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I'm just not used to it. So it's a thing I don't, I'm worried about pulling it off the top of my head. Uh, so I was making my notes and I was like, I, I wanted to think of a different way to describe you. And so I was like, oh, well, let's go Thelma and Louise. That feels right. And I'm like, what's other things that go together? I'm like, she's like the jade egg to my vagina. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> I was like, I can't. That's, there's insertion I there. Hold, I, I want to try and hold on to her as, as hard as I can. Oh my god, that makes sense. It actually is a beautiful analogy, but yeah, (laughs) on the surface, it it falls apart quick. But yeah, Yeah, which is why I uh, chose to go with the goop, because who goes hand in hand but Gwyneth Paltrow and her company Goop and and the Jade Egg. So that all made sense to me because I had to reference that. Again, man, you know, Carol Baskin was my first... Yes. At bat yes. in this situation. And I was pretty ill yeah. for days leading up to it. I don't get ill anymore. But once we hit record and she's like, you're ready to go. And I just, my heart goes, oh, yeah, that's you. And then my stomach is like, oh, we should shit probably. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> my body just starts like, ah, oh, is it hot? It feels hot. Oh, are we too high up? I think we're standing too high. It's like you're in a chair. You're fine. It's uh, that's why there's notes, because without the notes, it would be this the whole time. And I would be like, what are we what are we doing? Like, how many episodes have we done where I forget the name of our own show? There was once where I tried to open the show and I didn't remember what we were called, (laughs) which which is insane because I hear and say the title of our show, which is True Crime and Cocktails. Yep. <laughs> See, I do know yep. it. I say it multiple times a day. Yeah. And hear it and write it. Like, I, it's always there. But you turn a ring light on and she doesn't know what's happening. You, the ring light goes on and in my brain, you're opening the curtains and there's the audience, and it's like, oh, there's people. <laughs> I can't think too much about it, but people keep talking about us doing live events, and hoo-ah. <laughs> I mean, you know? look, at this point, like, I would say that I'm not going to drag you into it, but that's a lie. <laughs> oh, I know. It's the lie you it's tell just, me to, to, to lower yeah. my nerves and make me go, it's safe. And then you're like, oh, yeah, by the way, that door... We're going to go through it and there's going to be people. Let's go. And then it just, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, I think the difference there is at least we're physically in the same space. And that might like let me be your emotional support person. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, let me take some of the energy. Yeah. I would absolutely bring you on a plane. Yep. uh, If they would allow me. Like, if I would be like, if I'm traveling somewhere, I, I, I need to have my emotional support person. I Absolutely. And if I had to sit on your lap, I would. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, in that moment, I mean, 
once again we're back to the jade egg vagina i know (laughs) i know it just keeps leading us there good lord (laughs) it's just meant to be it's just meant to be yeah um well i don't know if you just want to get into this i'm let's do it i i'm both excited and uh, (laughs) bracing myself for whatever emotional journey yeah this is gonna gonna be rough it's gonna be rough yeah i have so many papers i'm ready to go like I'm ready to go with that sponsorship, 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do Again, this. Again, 7-Eleven. Who saw that coming? Not yeah. me. But the point is, I've been going to your store for decades. More so somehow in the last year, two years of my life uh, than ever. But for the love of God, help send a girl out. Send the woman some free Slurpees. Come on. Yeah, she's a, I mean, she's a fan of, of the product. I have a stuffed... Slurpy that sits in my background and I'm chugging these things more than I should. I know they're not the best for health, Don't but I won't tell it. people that 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just tell them how refreshing they are. Exactly. Oh boy, here we go. Today we are, of course, discussing pro wrestler China. Yes. Which takes me back because yeah. we used to love wrestling yeah but so the amount of times i'm probably gonna for some reason mention the rock he has nothing to do with this i don't think but the point is i'm still gonna find a way to bring him up i actually Why yeah is, if i can was, find a promo with him in it then maybe i can tag him he and wasn't he can just you know great at this point though oh, no. <laughs> yeah well, well it's fine Maybe it took having daughters for him to be like, ah, be nice to women. I think so. Mm. I think so. Oh, God. All right. Well, to this day, China is the most prolific female wrestler in professional wrestling history. At the peak of her career, she was as big of a household name as her male counterpart of the era, Stone Cold Steve Austin. But after being unceremoniously fired from the WWE in 2000, China found it very difficult to find steady work. In 2015, she was approached to appear in a documentary about getting her life back on track called The Reconstruction of China. She was skeptical, but in the end agreed. Within less than a year, she was dead from a drug overdose. So how did a woman who never used alcohol or drugs early in her career ultimately die from an overdose? Was she simply a woman on a path to self-destruction, fueled by heartbreak and pain? Or was she a woman that men exploited for their own gain in that final year of her life to the point that resulted in her death? Lauren Ash investigates. (laughs) It's the fact that we write, I wrote, like, I wrote that intro and I yep. wrote Lauren Ash Investigates, and yep. I feel no shame. <laughs> <laughs> I have taken to signing off with reporting for True Crime and Cocktails. This, this show is taking on a life of its own. Yep. And I am sure already, is. just based on that synopsis alone, I've already got my backup about the patriarchy. <laughs> Listen, you should. You definitely should. Um, now, listen, I also want to say very quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure some people would say, like, China? Like, why? Like, wasn't it just a drug overdose? And here's the thing. You know, we've talked about 
lots of different cases, um, you know, obvious murders, unsolved murders, serial killers. You know, we've talked about so many different things on this show. But I have been fascinated with China always since since she hit the the world. And as I kind of watched the documentary that that did come out about her, which I'm going to get into that whole situation later, I was like, I think we could cover this. And then as I got into it, I started texting Christy and I was like, we got an episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, while this may not be a traditional uh, quote unquote murder, I do think that it falls under the umbrella of famous fatalities. Um, And I will obviously spell out for you why as we go through the episode. But I think as we go, you'll also probably get a feel for it. I also just want to say I have done my very, very best to be as uh, infinitely accurate to the wrestling details. So if there are wrestling fans listening, please just, I ask for just a little bit of, a little bit of a uh, leeway. If I get something a little bit incorrect, I also want you to know, I have opinions about some wrestlers you might love and you might not like that. And that's okay. But this is the warning. Now they are my opinions and you don't have to share them. That's all right. But I sure got them. So here we go. <laughs> I I cannot wait. Yeah. Um, China was born Joan Marie Lauer, December 27th, 1969, in Rochester, New York, to her father, Joe Lauer, and her mother, Janet Lauer. Uh, she is now Janet Lacue, or Lack. It depends. I don't know. But I would, I, the Canadian in me would say Lacue. She had uh, two older siblings, her sister Kathy and brother Sonny. Her mom, Jan, says China liked to entertain as a child and put on puppet shows, lots of dancing. She was just a very happy and fun child. Jan says that China had a lot of her dad Joe's traits, namely that they were both very charming and very good looking. Jan has also said that she and her husband Joe were going through a lot of problems when China was a very small child. Um, mainly being that Joe was an alcoholic and a drug addict. Mm. Jan says they fought a lot in front of the three children, uh, especially in front of China, as on one occasion, Joe stabbed Jan in front of China with a butcher knife. But Jan says, yeah, Jan says she doesn't know if that had much of an effect on China. But we do know that they got divorced when China was four. And I also don't know a ton about child psychology, but they say those few first years are the most important. So I would go ahead and say it probably had an impact, Jan. Any hoodle. So they get divorced. China says that she went on to have three different stepfathers and one stepmother. According to China, her first stepfather threatened suicide in front of her at one point. Uh, she mm-hmm. also said her mother was very dysfunctional, that she would uh, get you know, yelling and screaming, and China would just try to separate herself from the situation as best she could. Now I know it's very early. I'm already putting on my psychologist hat. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, China talking about how she wanted to separate herself from the situation, just note that, because you're going to notice that that's a real pattern for her in her life um, that I would classify as perhaps avoidant attachment. But anyway, we'll get into that later. As a child, China took up playing the violin and the cello. In her autobiography, If They Only Knew, she talked of a time in seventh grade when she was sexually kissed by a much older teacher who worked at her school. Come on. I know. Oh, believe. Yeah. Look, (laughs) like I said, if I make it through this without crying, we're going to (laughs) be, I deserve some sort of prize. Um, 
Shortly after that, at age 13, uh, she developed bulimia, but she says it only lasted for a few months, probably because then she started experimenting with drugs. But then that only lasted a few months because she actually had to have a surgery to remove an ovarian tumor. And then she became very focused on her health and started working out. It's already too early for a side note. Side note. (laughs) Of Uh course... As a woman who has PCOS, when I heard the the term ovarian tumor, I immediately started to wonder if China had PCOS. Uh, Now, for those who don't know, that's polycystic ovary syndrome. It affects at least one in 10 women. They think maybe even more because it often goes undiagnosed. It's a disease of the endocrine system that affects your hormones. So one of the main traits, and it presents differently in every single person that has it, which is why it's so difficult to diagnose. But one of the traits is that women can have much higher testosterone levels than is typical and that could speak to part of the reason why china was so muscular and gained muscle so easily um because i will also speak to my own experience i if i start to work out i bulk and so you know as china started to work out she started to become you know quite a quite a solid lady and so i just you know i have nothing to follow that up with other than at the time i don't think anybody was getting diagnosed with pcos you know back in like the 70s 80s so that's just a theory i throw out there sure so her sister kathy said there was always something different about china she said her physical body was a challenge for her in her teens she was strong but she didn't know how to embrace it but she did know that she was super athletic so she started lifting weights around age 15 with her brother that's when she decided that she wanted to be an actress she wanted to be a tv or a movie star she would drive five hours for a two-second audition that she was not right for um but knowing that she wasn't right for it but she was just determined to put herself out there Her mom, Jan, says a couple months before her 16th birthday, she turned into a different person. Her personality completely changed. She said she was out of control. She was, uh, her grades started slipping. She started hanging out with a bad crowd. At that point, her dad, Joe, said, well, you can come live with me if you want. And in this house, you don't have to follow any rules. So obviously, when you say that to a 16-year-old gal, (sighs) soon as she turned 16, she was out of that house and she went to live with her dad. And that was the last time her mother ever saw her. Ever. It was also the last time her mother spoke to her for 27 years. 27 years. Because she left? Because she chose to leave? Mm-hmm. Mm. So, in China's autobiography, she claims that she was kicked out of the house by her mother. But her mother adamantly denies this, saying that China left on her own accord. Either mm. way, as a aunt, I think it's, you know, thank you very much. Yes, <laughs> Christy, of course, is in her as a mother shirt, which feels right. Yeah. But I just feel like I'll save it because I'm going to get into it later. But it's <laughs> just it's again, we're already painting a picture and she's only 16 at this point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So in her book, China said that 1973 to 1983 was her mommy dearest decade, stating that at the time they moved around a lot and most of the time her mom was angry, in love, or both. She also says Jan was very verbally abusive to her. And whenever she went up against her, which was almost never, she could always feel her gaining on her. She said she felt like it was always just a matter of time before she'd catch or overcome me, which I thought was an interesting way of wording that. Hmm. Um, 
Some sources close to China say that they don't know if that's true because China was apparently erratic when she was writing her book, but those are the words that she wrote, and I personally feel like, if nothing else, whether the exact details are correct or incorrect, obviously this is capturing the feelings that she felt, and I think that is valid, so I'm going to side with China and choose to believe her. Sure. China attended the University of Tampa, graduating in 1992 with a major in Spanish literature. During college, she also studied French and German. She could converse in French, German, and Spanish. She was quadlingual. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very talented. Uh, Later, it was stated that during this time, she was very unfortunately sexually assaulted by two men after she got drunk at a party. One of her boyfriends that she dated later in life, wrestler X-Pac, a.k.a. Sean Whitman, later said that she told him that story was made up, but I have no idea why she would lie about that story. I have no idea why she would tell that to him, and ultimately I have no idea why he felt the need to tell that publicly. So, once again, hashtag I believe women, hashtag I believe China, even if no one else will. So... China was also a member of the ROTC, Reserve Officers Training Corps. She originally wanted to use her knowledge of foreign languages to work for the FBI or the DEA. um, But she didn't. Uh, Yes, exactly. She subsequently joined the Peace Corps and was assigned to Guatemala. Now, there's some kind of differing sources about how exactly how long she was in the Peace Corps. But the consensus is it was around two years. Um, She says her father was never able to get over her decision not to pursue a career with the FBI, uh, which seemed to weigh on her. She also alleged that her father took out several student loans in her name without her knowledge, leaving her with $40,000 in debt. I guess as a parent, you can do that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. after returning from being away, she had... A multitude of different jobs. She was a cocktail waitress in a strip club. She was a singer in a band. She was a 1-900-number chat line worker, which I think is hilarious. Um, In her mid to late 20s, while living in the Florida Keys, she took a six-week class to train to be a flight attendant. However, in her book, she says that on the way to her first flight, she was in a car accident and spent four days in the hospital. After recovering from that accident, her sister helped her get a job selling pagers, and both of them also were said to work as belly dancers. When she was about 25, her sister said China was really floundering. Kathy, uh, her sister, told her to put everything she had in her car and just come to her house, Uh, but she didn't really have anything. She didn't have a relationship, job, money, nothing. And the two of them were extremely close. They were best friends. And so they just started to hit the gym together. That was the thing that they did. China began to regularly enter fitness competitions. And that's how she met a man named Jerry Blaise. Blay? Blaise? B-L-A-I-S? Blay? Blaze? Who knows? Blaze? Blaze is nice. Anyway. <laughs> He was supposed to help her prepare for a fitness competition, but for days after they first met, he says he could not stop thinking about her. He was just so impressed with her. She was unlike anyone he had ever met, and they started Mm -hmm. seeing each other, and then, of course, it ended up evolving into a relationship. He said that everything she did was something to better herself, to be the one thing she knew she was destined for. She just didn't know what it was yet, which I thought was so interesting. That she was, like, super focused and determined, but she just didn't know what exactly it was yet. Sure. 
At this time, she was not a wrestling fan, but one night she did watch it on TV and she saw everyone was playing these big characters. There was lights, people screaming, clapping, cheering. And she said to her sister, I can do that. That's how I'm going to make my mark. Do you want to do it with me? Kathy said, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I love that she's like, I love you. I support you. No, thank you. No, Uh, not for me. Uh, Not like this duo is the point. Um, so <laughs> China found Killer Kowalski and trained at his wrestling school in Malden, Massachusetts in 1995. She had only been a wrestler for six months, but said she felt like she had been doing it forever. She was in her element, wrestling every single day. She was black and blue and exhausted, but she loved it. She was wrestling under the name Joni Lee, and she bought a bathing suit from Marshalls and volleyball knee pads for her first match. She said she wanted every little girl who was not of a normal size to understand that it's okay to be athletic and muscular. Now, there's conflicting reports about just how tall she was. Some say 5'9", 5'10", 5'11". It's somewhere in that range, but she was obviously very tall. Sure. um, And, you know, solid muscle, like 200 pounds plus of solid muscle, uh, which is obviously, you know, rare for a woman um, at that time, potentially, to be so tall i think was the other thing like there was bodybuilding was definitely a thing but it was also her height i think that made her quite a presence to behold so at a match in daytona beach in 1995 jerry says she just had such a presence in the ring something natural just took over and she used to tell jerry that she knew she this was going to become something big for her And within a year, she won the Independent Wrestling Federation's women's title. That was in 1996. And she knew she was going to become a pro. So around this time, wrestling, there was not a lot of women in wrestling. Women were were valets, which is basically Mm -hmm. like the hot women, quote, or what they perceived to be hot at the time, quote unquote, uh, who would escort the wrestlers to the ring. Basically, their job was just to look pretty. And so China said she had this great idea that she wanted to come out as the bodyguard of a wrestler. And then she would also get in the ring and kind of throw other wrestlers around and actually be able to wrestle, which seemed like kind of a, a cool concept. So she said she was going to approach Paul Levesque, a.k.a. Triple H, a.k.a. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, a.k.a. Yes, I hate him. <laughs> so sorry. Uh Anyway, I've derailed. Um, But she decided she wanted to approach him to see if he thought uh, it would be a good idea for her to become his bodyguard. He was already in the WWE at the time. She knew him from her hometown. She happens to run into him and Shawn Michaels, who he was wrestling with a lot in the WWE at the time. It was the WWF at that time. But I'm using the terms that are present just for simplicity, which is also why I'm calling her China throughout. She did legally change her name to China. In 2007, so that's why I've just, just for simplicity, I'm just keeping everything all one. So she pitched he and Sean the idea. They loved it. They started thinking about, like, how are we going to integrate this? How are we going to make this work? They thought that it could totally up their storyline because she was such an amazing presence. Triple H would say, we got to get you hired. I need this for my career. But he also said that Vince McMahon, of course, the owner of the WWE, just didn't like the idea. He said it's just not a women's business. Yeah, You know, the second you say the words Vince McMahon, I'm like, ah, I, I have so many negative things that just flood my brain. I'm like, how do you even <sighs> fuck off, Vince? 
Okay, if we're starting at the 37-ish minute mark with you at fuck off, Vince, yeah. I just want to do a check-in. Uh, I'd like to do a check-in twice um, okay. because as we go through, there's going to be two times that I'm going to just do a check-in about where you're at. Um, for Vince, yeah. Yeah, for Vince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For I Vince. can't wait. Great. Okay, cool. So Vince McMahon, uh, for those who don't know him, was once described as part desperado, part tycoon, and all showman. And I actually think that's a pretty accurate description. He believed the more publicity, good or bad, that the WWE got, it would just increase viewership, and that was literally all he cared about. Many speculated that Vince didn't like China's look, um, and he just didn't want her in the WWE. Triple H did echo kind of that sentiment, as the idea was heavily resisted, but that he and Sean really pushed hard to get it done, and ultimately, China says they succeeded. But I have a theory. I think that is possibly her protecting Triple H because in my research, I found out that prior to her signing with the WWE, she was actually approached by Eric Bischoff to sign a deal with WCW, which of course was the big WWE competitor, which was very big at that time. Sure. Bischoff promised her that if she accepted the deal, she'd get a major payday and would be welcomed as the first female member of NWO. NWO was the New World Order, which was kind of like a group of wrestlers, um, which, of course, at the time was helmed by Hulk Hogan, which was a big deal. So, um, you know, she apparently, according to this source that I was reading from, again, don't come for me if this is not what you believe to be true. This is what I read. uh, She was thinking about accepting that deal with WCW because Vince obviously was noncommittal and they were super interested in her. But... She took a chance after Shane McMahon, Vince McMahon's son, asked her to turn down that deal and promise that he could change his father's mind. Uh, Fortunately, he did change his father's mind. But my question is, why would China turn down the chance to be a member of NWO at WCW, which was huge at the time? Um, Could there be another reason, say with long hair and a large nose, that might have made her want so desperately to work at the WWE for a boss who wasn't openly keen on her instead? I don't know. More on Mm. that to come. Google what Triple H looks like if you don't know, listeners. That joke will make sense to you. I hope for their (laughs) sake that they didn't know what he looked like. But trigger warning if you go look at him. Oh, again, the wrestling wrestling fans are going to come for us after this because I have not a lot of nice things to say. Well, if they didn't uh, do nice things to women, then. Well, yeah. I'll say this. He was very. Um, what's the what's the what's the term? He's very ambitious. And I'll give him that. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> Triple H and Shawn Michaels liked the name China for Joni. Uh, as they, she says, they thought it was an oxymoron, that it represented a tiny, petite, like, China item, and she was obviously the opposite of that, so she went with it, because, you know, he told her to. And I'm not blaming him for that, necessarily. At this point, I'm saying, I think, this is all my own theory, by the way, I just think that she was, there was something there for her. Um, so China made her WWE debut in 1997. The original D-Generation X, or DX, was Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and China, and they were a huge part of the show at that time. This was a, a time known in the WWE as the Attitude Era. Before the Attitude Era, things were PG at worst, but this was more of a, uh, suck it time, if oh, that makes yeah. sense. Okay. <laughs> I was like, how do I explain this quickly? 
think that does it. Um, People thought that DX were like total badasses and that they were such badasses that their bodyguard was a woman. And what was cool about it was China, you believed it because she was, again, she was like such a physical specimen. You were like, hell yeah, she could beat up these dudes, which was awesome. Um, Her sister Kathy says China was thrust into the limelight overnight. Immediately she went on the road. Uh, Jerry says from the first time she went on the road, she was basically with Triple H. And they were gone for 10 days, back for two days, but she would stay with Triple H. He found out sometimes she would, like, even back home, she would be staying with him. Of course. Um, and then Jerry said, you know, he needed to let her go. He let her. He needed to let her go off and do what she needed to do. He needed to not be selfish. He said, and I quote, she needed to go be famous. Now she's got a couple dozen brothers that would take a bullet for her. She finally found a family. Jerry, everyone. The one man who seemed to care about what was right for China. Oh, Jerry. Anyway. Oh, oh God. Oh, yep. Always the way. So China said that she and Triple H gravitated towards each other and became very serious within the next six months. Um, and then they were together in a full-on relationship for the next three-ish years. China was extremely loyal with him, very in love with him. Her sister says they were perfect together, and she thinks Triple H loved her just the way she was. China was asked in an interview in her later years, honestly, was Hunter the love of your life? Her response was, very much so. I was very, very much in love with him, yes. Mm. Which, again, is why I think, because to me, making the choice, when you look at, like, WCW is like, we want you so bad. Here's all this money. You can work with Hulk Hogan. Or the WWE is like, we don't really want you very much. I'm like, why would she go with them? The heart wants what the heart wants. Mm. So Vincent Russo, former head writer at the WWE, says it wasn't exactly a secret that they were together. People were just taken aback that someone like Triple H would choose to have a relationship with someone like China. And this Someone is Someone more where, attractive than himself. Well, that's not what the narrative was at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, let's also remember this was in the early, you know, late 90s, which, as we've talked about on this show before in the Britney Spears episode, I think it's important to remember this was a different time for women, which I know sounds crazy because it was 20, 25 years ago, which doesn't feel like it was that long. But for those of our younger listeners, it really was a different time. And the narrative was, how could this seemingly you know, super attractive, ripped, whatever dude, be into her. Why would he be into her was kind of the narrative at the time. Mm. And to that, I also say, how sad, because they had everything in common. It makes complete sense that they would be in a relationship. They had all the same interests. They, they, you know what I mean? Like, they both loved the gym. They both mm-hmm. were like bodybuilders. Like, it totally makes sense that they would fall in love, that, that they would have lots to build a relationship on so it's again this is just to me it makes my heart hurt for her so much that it's and this is just the beginning again of what she had to go through with bullshit like that but anyway so the crowds were brutal to her when she first came out it's like they didn't know what to do with her so they just chose to be mean they loved to hate her (sighs) she would be called names growing up 
for sure. She talks about being called like, you're a man, you're a lesbian, like all these things. And I'm not saying that they're derogative. And I don't think that she even necessarily thought that they were derogative, but they were being used to try and hurt her. Right. right. So, um, you know, the other thing I found out was that at stadiums, they would like throw batteries at her for some reason. Um, they would, of course, yell all of those kinds of things. They would yell things about what her alleged genitals may or may not have been. Um mm. Because she wasn't just really big, but she did have kind of a masculine vibe to her, certainly at sure. the, the beginning of her career there. And, you know, people are shitty. So that, again, mixed with that general kind of feeling like, why is Triple H possibly with her? I think that probably weighed on her. Of course. Now, Vincent Russo, again, uh, ex-head writer at the WWE, says he's definitely seen the pressure on women there to lose weight, get implants, take steroids, all of the above. And China definitely wanted to have more of a feminine appeal. Her sister Kathy thinks that China believed it was the only way, that the only way for her to achieve that for herself was through surgery. Um, later, years later, Howard Stern asked her in an interview, you had your jaw reconstructed to look more like a woman. She replied, I had reconstructive surgery on my jaw for an underbite I had. And he said, so it isn't about you looking more like a woman? To which she said, no. Now, she did have an underbite from the time she was born. You can see it in all the pictures of her growing up. It was mm -hmm. adorable. She was so cute. The pictures of her when she's like in her teens into her 20s, like she is so adorable. But I will also offer, I do not know what her relationship with steroid use was, but I do also know that that can affect the growth, shape, size of your jaw. So I think that it's possible that if it was something she was self-conscious about, it could have been becoming exacerbated. But also stand down, Howard Stern. Oh. <laughs> after, Just stand down. After our um, Anna Nicole episode, a... <sighs> Lovely uh, listener uh, on Twitter, I believe it was. I apologize. I don't remember the name. They they uh, tagged us on a video that was Howard Stern interviewing Anna Nicole. And he was like, if you get on a scale right now and you're a certain weight, I'm going to win like $1,000. Like, I'll give you hundreds of dollars if you get on this scale, whatever. And she was just like, no stop like and he wouldn't stop and he kept harassing her and it's just like is he gone yet has he been canceled yet have we moved on from howard stern yet because take howard stern on your way out the door grab joe rogan swing by the studio and get james corden <laughs> and bye three wildly bye. different men but all <laughs> equally as egregious to christy oxborough that's what i like <laughs> She knows what she likes, and it's none of that bullshit. <laughs> I'll tell you that. But that, again, speaks to that clip with Anna Nicole, too. It, it speaks to what I'm trying to kind of the picture I'm trying to paint, again, for our younger listeners, about what that era was and what the the way women were treated. And, and again, the, the, the stuff that we kind of see now uh, is new. It did not exist during that time at all. Mm. It was women were just treated horribly about stuff like that. So... Kathy, her sister, said, I think that China felt like it was the last big piece of herself she had to get taken care of to get to a place of self-acceptance, um, that she was not only big and strong, which she loved, but that she was also feminine and sexy. 
China once described her character as strong, beautiful, and holds her own in a male-dominated environment. And it seems from all of the stuff I've read and, and watched of her that it was always really important to her to be beautiful, which she was. She brings it up a lot, um, talking about wanting to be beautiful or feeling beautiful. And then also what she brought up a lot later in her life was feeling like a monster. And she uses the word monster over and over and over again. And it is so, so heartbreaking to read um, her talk about herself that way, you know. Um, oh, God, it's just, it's it's overwhelming. Um, but anyway, so I, I, I digress. But Kathy, her sister, said that she thinks that society in general at that time, obviously, there was all of that pressure. Society liked beautiful women. That was what we were being fed from the media. And China just did what she needed to do. And guess what? She might have been right because her career skyrocketed after that time. Big time. But still, mm. she had to endure interviews like this one with Larry King in 1999. China says, I think I display an enormous amount of femininity. To which Larry King says, oh, yeah, I'm not saying that. But the look is of... Which she says, the look is strength. And I think to me, he cuts her off. Strength is a male word. To which she says, strength is a male word because I think women are afraid to show strength because they get chastised for it. And to that I say, so gracious, so articulate. He didn't deserve you and neither did we. Neither did we. Um, Larry King, <laughs> we don't miss you. <laughs> We don't mean to speak ill of the ill of the dead, but we will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say, speak for yourself. <laughs> I don't have time, and this is what this podcast has done for me. Uh, I don't have time for people who can't treat other people kindly. I mm -hmm. especially don't have time for men who are trying to make a career or make money or make something off of putting women down. I yeah. don't have time for that. No, I don't. So either. welcome to my shit list, Larry King. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to get a copy of that shit list and put it on merch t-shirts. Of, um, of course. We get sued for defamation. Maybe. Of course. Anyway, maybe just a limited run. Okay. <laughs> I don't think the shirts are going to be big enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can go into the back. They probably have to. It'd have to be a, a dress. <laughs> Well, that feels right. Fighting yeah. the patriarchy one dress at a time. I like it. <gasps> With little post-its. All of their names on post-its covering everywhere. I mean, let's talk about it. Now, now you're the merch designer. Get into it. <laughs> Get into it. All right. So, quick China plastic surgery side note. Her breast implants were custom made for her after her first implants ruptured during a wrestling match. She had also complained to her plastic surgeon that the largest implants they had did not suit her frame in the way she desired. So her custom implants became the model for the China 2000s, a model of breast implant now marketed to large framed women and female bodybuilders. How about it? I thought that was interesting. So... The powers that be at the WWE wanted China to start wrestling by herself instead of with Triple H and Shawn Michaels. She didn't want to do it. She didn't think it was going to work. She says she always felt like she was under an enormous amount of pressure to be perfect and not screw up. Um, but with China, it was the first time that intergender matches made sense and were believable because of her size and strength. She could fight the men. 
Um, and she could even potentially win the Intercontinental Championship from a man, and she was the first woman to do so. Mm-hmm. But not without having to endure complete misogyny. So during one 1999 fight against Triple H, he kicked her in the breasts. The announcer said nothing. China retaliated by socking him in the balls. The announcer nice. gulped and said, I still don't know if I'm comfortable with this. So a man hitting a woman, no problem. But a woman hitting a man, discomfort. <clears throat> China once said in an interview, my job was just to keep my mouth shut. Uh, okay. So in 1999, like I said, she became the Intercontinental Championship title winner, billed as the ninth wonder of the world. Andre the Giant was, of course, the eighth wonder of the world, uh, or billed mm-hmm. that way. She was also the first woman allowed to battle for the King of the Ring at the Royal Rumble and the first woman to become the number one contender to the WWF Championship. She had singles victories over several prominent male wrestlers, including multiple-time world champions Triple H, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, and Jeff Jarrett. China left what WWE has called a lasting legacy as the most dominant female competitor of all time. This is when she blows up. She's doing magazine covers. She's doing tons of press, interviews. She was a household name. Even if you didn't know wrestlers, you knew China. She said that at the time, she didn't just feel like a wrestler. She felt like she was a a representative for the WWE because she was doing so much. She was out there at events, you know, doing all those kinds of things. 2000, she's offered to pose for Playboy. There is a story that says that Vince McMahon offered her a championship belt if she turned it down. But she said, no, I'm going to do Playboy anyway, which is so bizarre that he didn't want her to do it because he was all about ratings no matter what. And I don't know why he was so dead set against it. Honestly, it also ended up becoming a huge part of the storyline on the show that they used. Like, it's not like they ignored it. So I really don't understand what that was other than I think he was just he just didn't like her. I think he just didn't like her. I think that's all that it was top to bottom. Mm. But it should be noted she made more money doing one Playboy shoot than she did in the almost five years she worked at the WWE cumulatively. Oh, my God. Think about that. How dare he? How how dare he? How is that the moment that Hugh Hefner goes lower on the shit list? (laughs) Yep. Mm. honestly because again i'm like how dare you you're not paying her what she deserves based on how super famous she is and everything you're doing for her com- for your company and then you're telling her i don't want you to pose for playboy even though it's gonna pay her a truckload of money which you're not come on mm. so at this point and i don't i mean vince randomly decides he no longer wants her wrestling men out of nowhere isn't that interesting so <sighs> She's only allowed to wrestle women, and she feels like that meant her character was going backwards. For almost six years, she had wrestled men, and then suddenly she's the women's champion. Who is she going to fight? There's no other women there like her. She is, you know, huge in in stature compared to all of the other women. Uh, Canadian Michael Landsberg from TSN's Off the Record asked her in an interview, and I quote, Isn't it possible that the public doesn't want to see men losing to women? And again, I need to tell you, he was not being ironic. He was not being funny. This was a genuine question in 2001. Mm. Asked to a woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. China doesn't skip a beat. 
Again, completely articulate and graciously, she says, Yeah, but there was nobody there at that point that didn't want to wrestle me. How was I going to step backwards and wrestle women who didn't have the experience from the guys who I had been wrestling every day? Great point. Yeah. She doesn't even get emotional about it, which she had every right to if she did. But they wanted to try and turn her into, like, a diva. Because this was really the era where they started bringing women in um, mm. who were, like, you know, the little kind of five foot five, super fit, but, like, you know. Trish. Trish Stratus, yeah. Leah, those kinds of ladies. Mm -hmm. uh, amazing ladies, great athletes, but just a different thing from her. She just wasn't that. And then they were trying to, like, you know, make her turn into that. Right. So this is the turning point in her story. So like I said, China was incredibly loyal and in love with Triple H. In a 2000 interview, she said, For three years, we've spent more time together than most people who are married. We wake up, we go eat, we go work out, we go to the building, we do our show. Everywhere we go, we're together. We don't get a chance to go to romantic dinners or go on vacation, but we're together in the business. Triple H said at that time about China, I never met somebody who can train as focused or as hard as China does. She's a 200-pound woman and she's all muscle. She's bigger than your average guy. I've never really thought about it like, oh, she's bigger than me or, oh, she's stronger than me. Of course, she's not. But it was never really a factor for me. I just saw her as a person and a personality. And to be quite honest, I'm impressed and proud of everything she does. I see people in the gym saying, oh, my God, and I'm proud of her. It makes me laugh. Huh? <laughs> oh. I don't fully understand that way that turned at the end there, mm. but okay. Um, and then this is a quote from Triple H in 2000 that is such chilling foreshadowing to everything that I'm about to talk about. He said, and I quote, you trade in your normal life and your personality to have a job in the wrestling business. Just hold on to that. And then equally chilling foreshadowing was when China said in that same interview, the last three years for me have gone by in the blink of an eye. I just worry sometimes that I dedicate everything to this job and maybe 10 years from now, I'm not doing this anymore. And I will not have gotten married or had kids or done, done the things that normal people do. This is a very short-lived business. And I just sometimes think that that day is going to come for me. You know, I plan on being here, but suddenly I'll be gone and I'll think, oh shit, now look what I did. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So 2001, China and Triple H have a huge house in New Hampshire. They've been together going on four years. There was talk of marriage. His career was moving up. He was having a lot of meetings with Vince and Stephanie and the rest of the WWE, um, crew, you know, behind the scenes crew. China says she felt like she didn't want to be jealous around that time when he was taking all these meetings. She was, like, very sure. proud of him and happy that he was doing well. So she didn't want to, you know get on his case about spending too much time with the boss or the boss's daughter, that kind of thing. Um, at this time, Triple H started to have an on-screen storyline with Vince's daughter, Stephanie McMahon. The storyline mm. was that they got married and took over the business and drove her dad, Vince, out. China says she did ask Triple H more than once if something was going on. She said that she felt like he was possibly cheating, felt it was better just to address the problem and ask him honestly. One time she brought it up. They got into a heated argument. She told him, I know something's going on. Don't tell me something's not going on. He swiped at her hand. She swiped at his hand. She said that was the moment she knew she had to leave. But she also know, knew that she needed closure. So she went looking. And in their home, she found a love letter to Triple H from Stephanie McMahon that had been dated a year prior. 
So the entire time they had been doing that storyline together on screen, they had been having an affair. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stephanie has said, by the time Triple H and I started our on-screen storyline, we just sort of had great chemistry and it just went from there. So my question is, what the hell does that mean? Did this start before the storyline on screen? Was that the inspiration for the storyline on screen? Because we had great chemistry prior to it and it just went from there. He was with China. Who works for that company? And you know that, Stephanie. You know that. Come on. Well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it, Stephanie? (laughs) (laughs) she also offered an adorable anecdote about one time she was standing by the ring and triple h was crawling around on the floor and he felt up her leg and she was like that's definitely flirtation again he was with china at the time why is that titillating and exciting to you he's i just and get ready for it because guess who's coming back into play your favorite Howard Stern asked Triple H about this, and he said, oh, so you're dating the boss's daughter. And Triple H responded, it's a hell of a cash upgrade. Which makes me want to vomit. Then Howard says, and also she's very feminine. You'd call her a feminine woman. To which his hype woman, Robin Quivers, chimes in and says, she's certainly not like Joni. We all know that... Like, at this point, it's, like, public knowledge that he cheated on her and left her. Like, why are we putting salt in the wound for this poor woman? I also want to add... the world's a piece of shit. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you Especially very much. shock jock people <laughs> are a piece of shit. Thank you for your use of shock jock. <laughs> Always. I also just want to note that Triple H and China were the same age. Stephanie is seven years younger, which doesn't sound insane. But just keep in mind that in 2000, when the affair started, Triple H was 31 and Stephanie was 24, which on paper isn't bad. But also, I just note it. Yeah. So China is, of course, blindsided by all of this. But, you know, obviously is like, I have to just try and find a way to, you know, deal with this because she wanted to continue her job. Um, And so... She was asked in an interview about whether she thought the Triple H-Stephanie relationship sped up her leaving and being asked to leave the WWE. And she's like, I'm not allowed to say officially, but of course, in the back of my mind, I have to believe that's a part of it. Jim Ross, who is the former WWE talent relations executive, says they just decided not to renew her contract after that, but also says she was as valuable to the WWE at that time as Stone Cold Steve Austin. So at that time, 2001, she was offered a new WWE contract with a minimum salary of $400,000 per year with the potential for higher income through merchandising and pay-per-view appearances. But she said she wasn't going to sign anything with less of a base pay salary of a million dollars a year. Jim Ross characterized this demand as outrageous and unrealistic and that it made WWE officials reluctant to negotiate with her, despite her immense popularity. Jim Ross said she must have wanted to get cut loose by demanding that kind of money. China felt that she was top-tier talent and deserved to be paid that way. Vincent Russo, the ex-writer, also says the WWE is, is notorious for this, that when they're ready to let someone go, they'll just weave whatever story they want to like oh they asked for too much money their ego got too big whatever Mm. um and he basically says like he's worked with so many people and china is the last one to have an ego when she was the one who had every right to like that she just was not that person at all and one thing i read 
was that, you know, backing up this China is delusional for asking that kind of money narrative was that they claimed only a handful of guys were making a million dollars a year. So that's what we do on True Crime and Cocktails, ladies and gents and people. We go and look and see. That's my girl. (laughs) Thank you very much. As a full-time wrestler with the company, the man that he, she has been compared to constantly as being just as famous as, just as important to the brand, Stone Cold Steve Austin, 1998 to 1999, he earned over $5 million. And wow. then given the, his being so famous and moving to the top of the wrestling card at events, he started making $12 million a year. Holy shit. And mm-hmm. she was asking for one? Yep. Oh. Mike Tyson... Made a few guest appearances in 1998 as a part of a storyline with Stone Cold Steve Austin. He was paid three and a half million to make a few appearances. The Big I... Show. Do you remember The Big Show? Uh huh. Was not really like he. Yeah, yeah, he was there. He was you know consistent. Uh, sure. But he was a mid card, so he was never like you know a huge name. Sure. He was making nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year in 1999 on a ten year contract. China was a literal revolution in women's wrestling. No one was there but like that before her. No one has been like that there like her after. She was the biggest female wrestler of all time. She's a household name at this point. And you mean to tell me that she was being insulting? Also, I also pulled up the number that in the 80s, they were paying Hulk Hogan around $10 million a year at his peak. I understand he was the biggest wrestler of all time. However... You you don't think she's worth a tenth of what he was? Come on. A tenth? And that was also 12, 15 years later. <laughs> Do you see, like, with inflation, it's like, this is wild to me. I just think it's it's so insulting that they even offered her 400000 I think that $1 million actually wasn't even enough when Stone Cold was making around twelve at that same time. Sorry. Especially when they kept, they keep pushing the narrative that she was so unique, she was so huge, there was nothing like her, she was a revolution, she was just as important to the brand as Stone Cold. That has been said by multiple people involved. But how dare she ask for a million dollars a year? Come on. Um, violence is never the answer. (laughs) (laughs) But I would love nothing more than to take one of those chairs and swing it at Vince McMahon and see what happens. I get it. I get that. I'm even willing. We're in the ring. I can have a blindfold on if you want, or the lights are just completely out. I just know he's not allowed to leave the ring. I know he's in there somewhere. <laughs> and it's going to be out. like, it's going to be like pinata time. And I'm going to be like the fucking predator. And I'm going to feel the heat. <laughs> and I'm going to know where there's a body. Yep. I only know that predator works like that and can see heat and everything uh because my husband made me watch that movie and movies sorry hey. not my style not my style i was talking about fucking mama mia earlier everybody knew it, it predator wasn't my style but the point is maybe i should thank him because now i've learned some skills i've learned how to hunt and i'm ready vince <laughs> <laughs> well i haven't even gotten to the next check-in for you about Vince yet, so I I I I can't wait to see what you turn into from the Predator as we oh, continue. I can't wait. Maybe I'll try and keep it in Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, references. Oh, somehow God. do what feels right. Yeah. 
So, you know, she was obviously, China was also like blindsided by all of this. Her sister said the WWE was the only place she ever felt accepted. And once she lost that, she fell into a hole and she could never climb out of it. So let's talk about the hole. And I have one thing to say, and I need everyone to say it with me now. Get the blankets. Get the blankets. China was sitting in a Jerry's Deli eating lunch when a fax mysteriously came through to the Jerry's Deli from the WWE saying they wouldn't be needing her services anymore. Fun fact, Jerry's Deli is where Spencer and I went on our first date, but that's neither here nor there. Um, And once China was let go, it was like she was completely erased. And people have talked about this, about the WWE, that this is what they do very well. It's like you're gone and completely out of sight, out of mind type thing. Um, She had reached the highest level she could possibly reach in the wrestling world. Now she's lost it. She knows she'll never have that again. And she's got to be asking herself, like, oh, my gosh, like, what's my purpose? What am I doing? So she moves out to Santa Monica, gets an apartment, and no one from the WWE is taking her calls, answering her letters. I'm assuming that's probably because they wanted to keep their jobs, stay in, you know, Vince's good books, all of the above. They were Mm -hmm. Team Triple H, I'm sure, at that time. Um, She could no longer use the name China because WWE owns it. And so she started going by China Doll. Um, because obviously her identity was tied into that name at this point. Like this is, you know, she had been searching for so long to find out what it was she wanted to do. She found it. And in the snap of a fingers, not only did her family, her livelihood, her, the thing that she loved doing and her identity and name all got taken away from her like that, that quickly. Mm -hmm. So she thought, you know, maybe I can try acting. Maybe I can get a sitcom. Um, You know, she did some movies. Her sister described it as, quote, nothing that substantial. She thinks this is when China started to panic. Now, throughout all of her time at the WWE, she never did drugs or drank. um, But she did start to turn to alcohol during this time, which makes sense. Uh, She was lonely, not sure what to do. And that's when X-Pac or X-Pac, a.k.a. Sean Waltman, showed up on her doorstep. Now, they had been friends forever. He had gotten a divorce and showed up. They instantly fell in love. He describes her as comforting and like a safe space for him. She seemed very comfortable. They just meshed. People immediately were like, this is a bad idea. X-Pac says he was just so happy to have someone that wanted him, which is the great basis for any relationship, right? Mm. Oh, oh, also, he he did also mention that at that time, he just started dabbling in crystal meth. So that's always good. Apparently, he was hiding his drug use from her, and apparently at that time, she had also started using drugs, though I am unsure what specifically she was using at that time. She posed for Playboy again, which ran in the January 2002 issue. The Bunny Ranch brothel owner, Dennis Hoff, invited her to his brothel following her May 2002 celebrity boxing match, where she fought Joey Buttafuoco, the Long Island car repairman whose teenage mistress shot his wife in the 1990s. That's a deep cut. Um, so <laughs> Thank he brought you for her. That. 
You're very welcome. I needed to tell you to say the specifics, obviously. Um, but he brought her to the brothel to teach his girls how to wrestle, as it was apparently a very popular fetish with his customers. So the hookers, uh, or I should say, I'm so sorry, that was his term. I was quoting him. But the sex workers would meet China at the Bunny Ranch gym, where she taught them the most important lesson was to oil up. That way the men can't latch on to you. You can slither away before coming back to grab the client's cocks. His word again, uh, and that would let them win the match. <laughs> uh, China began staying at the Bunny Ranch for days at a time. She would hang up, you know, sprawled on couches, gossiping with the gals. Um, he also said, though, that she was probably more sensitive than anybody else he'd ever met. Um, she would cry over things people would say about her, um, like negative things about what she looked like. Um, she just wasn't nearly as tough inside as she was on the outside was his thing that he really took away from her oh so she was human believe it or not hmm. fall 2002 she sets off to tokyo to work with new japan pro wrestling there was a different respect for wrestling in japan it was huge at the time founded by antonio inoki he is described as a mince a mix of vince mcmahon and muhammad ali the style is called hard style. And what does that mean? Well, it means you really hit and really slam your opponents as hard as you can. So China had to learn this new style. She trained for 10 hours a day. She fought in several matches. She said, as a foreigner, you're going to get beat up. She um, she fought in several matches in September, September, October of that year, most notably being a big fight with Masahiro Shono at the Tokyo Dome. And uh, I think there was about 8,000 people there. I think she was quoted as saying. Uh, he thought that he could wrap up the fight in three to four minutes. He didn't think that China was really going to be that big of an opponent for him. But she kept getting up. She would not stop. She did not give up. And the audience got on her side. And apparently he was extremely famous there and a huge, had a lot of fans at that time. And apparently he said that even his wife, who who never wanted to watch wrestling, she wanted to come to that match and she cheered for China. <laughs> Amazing. Yep. He said that China was one of the hardest matches he has ever fought. China said it was the most physically demanding achievement of her entire life. She only fought one more match after that with New Japan Pro Wrestling because X-Pac, X-Pac, it's Pac, I think. Anyway, I'm so sorry, had gone to Japan to be with her and he brought coke and meth with him and she started doing drugs with him. Uh, now, a man named Ken Yasuda, who is an MMA fighter and a friend of China's, says that doing drugs started to affect her. She started to become late, flaky, and they did fire her. So China comes back. She's trying to pursue acting again. She does have a fair amount of credits for that time, but nothing, you know, necessarily of note that's big. Sure. 2003, X-Pac calls her sister Kathy, says you got to come. She's out of control. Kathy comes and convinces her to go to rehab. They go to a rehab. But after 10 to 15 minutes, China leaves and saying she never wanted to see her again. How dare you do this to me? And she ends her relationship with her sister, Kathy, and she never saw her again, ever. Oh. This was her only family member she had contact with at this point, and that was it. And I bring you back. Oh, what's that? Yep, the psychology hat is going back on. I bring you back to the beginning. It's She has this pattern throughout her life, and this isn't the last time we're going to see it, where it's like somebody wrongs her, she's done. And literally cuts off, which is also, mm. I mean, there's, you know, many different diagnoses. I am not a doctor, so I shouldn't be giving them. But again, it's just a very kind of, it's also a, you know, 
trait of BPD, borderline personality disorder. Um, but again, more on all of that later. 2004, she and X-Pac released a sex tape called One Night in China. It became the top-selling adult DVD of the year. Some sources say she never got any money for it, but I'm not sure if that's true or not. Um, but what is true is that this inspired her to, to embrace a real porn career, and she started doing um, adult movies, uh, including the AVN, AVN-winning Backdoor to China. Oh, boy. Yeah. X-Pac describes their relationship as codependent, volatile, and fucked up. No matter what happened, they would always get back together. China said dealing with an unstable person, like him, made her unstable. Friends say she was so desperate to be loved, she would take these toxic relationships and just hang in there. Which is interesting, again, because she would cut these women out of her life or cut family out of her life. But she right. just wanted that love so bad, she would do anything mm -hmm. to try and get it. Which is reminiscent, again, of Marilyn, Brittany, Anna Nicole. Like, these are stories we've heard before, mm -hmm. you know. January 1st, 2005, she is arrested on domestic violence charges after she allegedly beat X-Pac. He says she assaulted him, struck him in the face and head and face countless times. She simply says, this is her quote, she bitch slapped him. I don't know what the truth there is. 2005, um... Some say she ran away from X-Pac to go to the Surreal Life set with literally the clothes just on her back. But he was on that show, too. So I'm not so sure about that story. I watched religiously every episode of that show. She did seem very intoxicated for most of it, from what I remember. Uh, she followed up that show with a stint on the 2008 season of Celebrity Rehab. Uh, it should also be noted, I think I mentioned it before, but 2007 was when she legally changed her name to China. Um, February 8th, 2007. A visibly upset China appeared on Larry King Live to speak about her friend Anna Nicole Smith, who had died earlier that day. On the program, mm -hmm. China said she knew it was coming because of the way the media had ridiculed Smith, and she drew parallels between Anna and herself. She's done reality shows. I've done them, too. When she talks about her feelings, they're the exact same as mine. Now, the wife of the CEO of Trim Spa was like... Anna Nicole didn't think that China was her friend, but they did a movie together, Anna's last movie, Illegal Aliens. They were both in together. Uh, China was also in an episode of the Anna Nicole Smith reality show. So again, I don't, like, she obviously knew her well enough. If they were co-workers and she'd been in her reality show, shut the fuck up. Why is everybody calling this woman a liar? I'm so over it. Like, she knew her. Yeah. Because there's video proof of it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's she's allowed to be affected by the death of someone that she worked with. Whether or not they were deeper friends is kind of irrelevant, in my opinion. Yeah. Between 2009 and 2011, China stripped for cash. She also st starred in a total of five porn movies, which Vivid would release between 2009 and 2011. Um, Vince Russo from the WWE said the porn made sense to him. She needed work. An adult film country company uh, treated her with respect, gave her money. It just made sense. China said, what's wrong with it? If I do it in a sexy, safe environment where I have control and they're going to make me feel beautiful and, you know, maybe mentally, like, it couldn't go any worse. Oh, which okay. makes me want to cry. Um, later on Celeb Rehab, she said about that time, I just feel like I lived in a hell forever. To which Dr. Drew responded, you did. It was a spiral down no one could stop but her. 
I mean, look, I I have a lot of feelings on Dr. Drew that I know we won't get into today. We'll yeah. get into another time. Of course. Um, my God, I I I am I'm mentally, I think the only word that um is appropriate is seething. Yeah. Um yeah. about so many things. Uh, I know we have so much more seething to do. We do. So we're going to take a quick break, go stretch it out, grab a drink. We'll be right back with more on pro-China. Pro-China. Fuck off, Christy. (laughs) She read it to try and keep it together. Here we go. And we'll be right back with more on pro-China. Fuck (laughs) off. (laughs) Oh, God. And you know what? We're just going to keep this in. We'll be yeah. right back with more on China on True Crime and Cocktails, Famous Fatalities Edition. You're doing great. <laughs> CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome back to True Crime and Cocktails. Before I painfully took us to that break (laughs) i was adding to my shit list which for those keeping track currently includes stephanie mcmahon (laughs) triple h larry king howard stern and vince mcmahon so lauren who am i gonna add next oh there's oh there's a few that oh god i i know this might sound impossible but I, i think there's a couple that i'm angrier at than all of them combined oh no (laughs) yeah yeah we're gonna need a lot of material for that shit list dress yeah we really are but those are gonna come in a in a in a beat i've got a few other things to hit first so 2011 the third movie that china had done for vivid was she hulk she was getting painted green every day literally everywhere She was drinking every day, and she said she just wanted to die. There was no real work for her in Hollywood. She wasn't wrestling. She had had enough. Everyone had been cut off. She decided, okay, you know what? I'm going to Tokyo. She spoke Japanese. Uh, As we know, she's very good with languages. 
Um, and so she thought that she could get a great job as an English teacher because she also, as we know, spoke French, German, and Spanish. Yeah. As well as English. So she thought, oh, this is going to be great. Of course they're going to hire me. Well, she soon realized that being as recognizable as China is was not an asset for her. Um, she struggled finally landing a low-paying job teaching English, uh, but that's what she decided to do. So she moved to Japan. She's got this very humble job teaching English. Many of her friends believe she sobered up while she was in Japan at this point. Now, we do know that she had prescribed medications from her time living there for anxiety and to help her sleep. So I think maybe when they're talking about sobriety, they may be talking that she stopped drinking, I think is is what they were talking about. And I don't know that she was necessarily abusing prescription drugs. I think she just kind of had stuff for anxiety and sleep. Um, so she was just trying to lead a peaceful, normal life, which she never had at this point. And she showed up at a bishop's office of a Mormon church. She told some church members there that she had this, you know, sketchy background with a lot of things she regretted. And she wanted to start a new life and get baptized. And she wanted to put those bad decisions behind her. Um, during this time, she lived in Japan for around three to four years. Jerry, you remember good old Jerry, he was in contact with her at this time through email. And he said it made sense to him that she had kind of sought family in the Mormon church because, again, Growing up was so dysfunctional. Then she finally found a family in the WWE. Then she was alone again. And so he says, you know, she just wanted to be loved so badly, um, which, as we know, does draw a lot of people to religion. A lot of people who who are lonely get drawn to religion, which is good for some sure. people. People thrive in that environment. They find community. But it can be bad for other people as well, just like anything can be. But Jerry says he felt like overall during this time, she was actually doing very, very well, which is lovely. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin oh, boy. has Triple H on his podcast and brings up China asking, when is she going to be put into the WWE Hall of Fame? And Triple H says, and this is a direct quote I transcribed. From a career standpoint, should she be in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. Bit difficult, though. And this is the flip side of the coin that nobody looks at. I got an eight-year-old kid, and my eight-year-old kid sees the Hall of Fame, and my eight-year-old kid goes on the internet to go look. Oh, there's China. I've never heard from her. I'm eight years old. So I go to type that in, and I punch it up, and what comes up? And I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm not criticizing lifestyle choices. Everybody has their reasons. I don't know what they were, and I don't care to know. And it's not a morality thing or anything else. It's just the fact of what it is. It's just a difficult choice. And then he changes the subject. <laughs> he goes on about, like, how the Hall of Fame is so difficult to get into, and then he changes the subject. So apparently China can never be in the Hall of Fame because he doesn't know how to put parental controls on his own computer. Like, I don't, I don't understand this. Um, and so then it made me realize, like, huh, I wonder who is in the WWE Hall of Fame currently? Like, who all's in there? It, because he said they have a sure. very, very, it's it's not just about your kind of athletic performance. It's kind of like an overall thing. So, sure. so if they've got those kinds of standards, surely everybody in the WWE Hall of Fame would be only the best model citizens, right? Mm, boy. Now, it should also be noted that I have left out 
some people suspected of murder, a man who had dementia and killed another man in his nursing home with his bare hands, and all the DUI's public intoxication type charges. So all of those people are still in there. I'm not even going to talk about any of them. Um, It should also be noted they have removed some people from the Hall of Fame, like Hulk Hogan, after, of course, he was caught on tape using the N-word, as they should. Um, But let's see who else is Googleable. First of all, Donald Trump is in the WWE Hall of Fame. Fuck right (laughs) (laughs) Why? He did get involved in the WWE during a period of time. He was, like, involved in the storylines and stuff. And that doesn't get you in a Hall of Fame. I mean, there's clips of him, like, quote, wrestling even. Oh, he bought his way in. Well, during his 2013 induction, he said that the honor meant more to him than having the highest ratings in TV, being a best-selling author, or getting a spot on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. That's pretty good Trump, right? Spot on. Thank you so much. I I was so angry. Didn't want to listen to you anymore. <laughs> so that says, uh, that says a world. Did my job. Oh, but yeah. again, what a quote that this is the biggest honor of his life. Now, again, this was mm. pre him being a president. But um, anyway. Oh, and for context, because you were like, what are you talking about? Also, keep in mind and never forget, Linda McMahon, Vince's wife, who is Stephanie and Shane's mother, was named the head of the Small Business Administration by President Trump. And she served in that position in the government from 2017 to 2019. So just keep in mind, they're very enmeshed, the McMahons and the Trumps. But that's just a mm. side note I didn't announce as a side note. Um, next up, Mike Tyson is in the WWE Hall of Fame. Um, I will remind you, he had a sexual assault conviction in 1992, which caused him to be registered as a Tier 2 sex offender in 1995. Now, he was mm-hmm. inducted into the Hall of Fame in nine, uh, 2012. In some states, you can petition to be removed from a sex offender registry after 20 years if you're a Tier 2 offender. But even if he had done that, which I can't confirm he did, he still would have been on the registry at the time of his in- induction. And even if he wasn't, he also had multiple felony drug charges prior to 2012. So that's also just something to keep in mind if you were, you know, Googling Hall of Fame members. Mm-hmm. But those mm-hmm. two, those two were celebrities. They were celebrities who were inducted. Sure. So maybe they're held to a different standard. Okay, sure. How about Sunny, the original diva? Okay. Sure. She was inducted in 2011. She also signed a six-figure contract to start doing porn with Vivid in 2015. And I checked today, and she has Hall of Famer listed in her Twitter bio, as well as a link to her OnlyFans, and her OnlyFans name is actually WWE HOFer Sonny. So WWE Hall of Famer Sonny. So if Triple H's rules and standards are as high as he says they are, why hasn't she been removed from the Hall of Fame, and why is she allowed to use WWE Hall of Fame in her OnlyFans name. So then I dug further and discovered that from 2001 to 2003, Sonny regularly posed nude for Missy Hyatt's adult website, Wrestling Vixens. So guess what, Hunter? You done. Because when I get really angry at you, apparently I only use your first H. (laughs) (laughs) Caught you in your own lie, boy. I like that as a parent who would go right for the middle name or use the entire name. Yep. You're like, if I'm pissed enough, not even worth my breath to go for nope. the regular. You may even be pissed enough. He's just, <sighs> yep. Just the, 
just the sound barely emitting. Yep. But I know what you're thinking. Is that where the list ends? Oh, it's not. Of course it's not. No, it's not. Scott Hall was charged with a second degree murder over a girl in 1983. (laughs) He says it was an accident and he may have been charged more severely, if not for the lack of evidence according to police. He was inducted in 2014 and then again in 2021 as a part of the NWO. So he's in there twice and he killed somebody. Okay? Literally. But China was in porn. Um... Ultimate Warrior is in there. He is horrifically homophobic. He's dead now, but when he was alive, he was doing college speaking tour, tour, just terrible, terrible shit. Mm -hmm. And then this is the one that really got me. Abdullah the Butcher is a wrestler in there. He's most famous for, he would uh, cut, uh, and wrestlers will do this, they'll they'll, like hide a razor blade and they'll cut themselves just a little bit to like have blood come. No. Uh, And this was, this was his big, his big move. Uh, and he would also do it to others in the ring. Um, but then here's the thing. Um, he would knowingly mix his blood with other wrestlers' blood, even though he knew he had hepatitis C. And he actually lost a lawsuit for $2.3 million for his negligence in 2014. So um, he's in there. And I want to remind you, I found all these things, Hunter, by Googling. <laughs> so. If your eight-year-old is Googling your Hall of Famers, that's what they can find. Uh, Well, I hope that your son Googles true crime and cocktails and (laughs) Triple H. (laughs) Uh, And then here's, by the way, your dad's a piece of shit. (laughs) Okay, maybe, maybe I don't want the child to hear that. No, I assume we don't don't want uh, want a child, but uh, the point is. That's well, you such know, a piece I just shit. think when you start to look at it, it's like, you know, China was someone who felt she had no other option other than to have sex for money. And when you think about it, wasn't that exactly what Triple H was doing, too? It's too much of a burn. It's too much of a joke. It's too much. That's defamation. It's defamation. I didn't mean it. Alleged. Alleged. Speculation. I'm just angry. I'm spicy. Yeah. Um, no, I like it. I like you very spicy. much. But I also just want to add, just to give context, that again, at this point, China had moved to Japan, okay? She literally had moved to Japan because she didn't want to do porn anymore, and that was the only work she could get in America. And why are they bringing this up? Stone Cold, Triple H, let it go. Why is this a conversation? She's not putting it out there into the public. Leave her alone. At this point, he was married to to um, Stephanie, who I will add is the one who is set to inherit the empire, which is currently estimated to be worth $2 billion. At that point, Triple H was the, uh, I believe, WWE executive vice president. And she's making pennies teaching english to get by leave her alone it's too much it's too much all jokes aside you know come on it is very reminiscent of justin timberlake yes being like uh how can i get my name out there how can i milk this how can i make people want to listen Oh, right. I'll bring up my ex-girlfriend that I was super shitty to because I know it gets people's attention. 
And yeah, yep. Justin, we're on to you now. I used to have a shirt that said Mrs. Timberlake. I don't fucking want it anymore. <laughs> Jessica can have you. I'm done with you. <laughs> Put him on the shirt. Put oh, him on the shit list he's, shirt. He's been on the shit list for a while. Hashtag free Britney. Hashtag free Britney. Yeah. So at this time, China's work visa runs out. And she couldn't work anymore or she risked being deported. She doesn't know what to do. At this point, China reaches out to her mother, Jan, for the first time in almost 30 years. Oh. She calls from Japan. Jan says, well, China did most of the talking about her life in Japan, that she was breaking Im immigration laws by staying there. Um, Jan told her not to go back to California. China said, Mom, what else am I supposed to do? It's not like I can get a job at McDonald's. And this is a quote. Jan said, I said, sure you can. You can get a job at McDonald's flipping burgers until you can find something else. And with that, I say, I sure bet China was real glad she made the choice to call her mom for the first time in 30 years, only to have her tell her to get a job at McDonald's. Because that's also not realistic. Like, that's the other thing, too. Like, yeah, on paper, sure. But that's, that's not, it's not solving the problem. Um, China was also sending emails to Stephen Hirsch, who, of course, owns Vivid Entertainment, the porn company who had produced China's porn videos. In one, she was talking about, like, I feel like my skin is beautiful. My figure is feminine and pretty. I look good. Can we talk? What's the next step? Can, can we talk about money? I want to be a beautiful porn star. I just feel like she felt like she was completely out of options. She's she's calling her mother for the first time in almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. She's reaching out to try and do porn again. She's clearly desperate, vulnerable, out of options. And that's when we enter Anthony Anzaldo, a man who I hate with the fire of a thousand suns. Oh. And if you think that you hate these other men, well, get ready, buttercup. Buckle up, because I'm about to take you on a wild anger ride oh no once a successful record promoter anthony spent the 2000s getting former athletes and classic tv actors like brady bunch star barry williams and jeff conaway who played kaneki in greece to star <laughs> yeah, on he did he sure did to star on reality tv shows he would brag that he was in the room with jeff conaway when he died to some reporters According to Anthony, he and China met in 2002 at that celebrity boxing match she did. He said, and this is a direct quote about meeting her, I could definitely see she was using, and I took a liking to her, and I said I would take her on. Now I'm going to say right here, right off the bat, what kind of manager actively seeks out talent who is struggling with substance use issues? The only person who is doing that is someone who wants to take advantage of you, exploit you, etc. They do not care about your well-being. I'm going to say that right out of the gate. That's just my opinion. He said, we started working together. She was a train wreck, but I loved her and we had a great time. He got her booked on The Surreal Life and then Celebrity Rehab. But then sometime after 2008, they parted ways. He says that he's unclear why. Her friend Mary Carey said that she switched managers a lot after 2008. 2015, she also reached out to him from Japan. Again, I, I, this is only my own theory, but I just think her mindset was desperation. She yeah. had to try and find a way to make money, it sounds to me. Um, she found this calm little corner in the world for herself, and now she had to give it up. She had no prospects. She, she was freaking out, I'm sure. So if you ask Anthony, he'll say she was a member of his family and that he never worked as her manager. 
nonetheless, he began plotting a comeback for her that would end with her wrestling at the MGM Grand in Vegas. However, also around this time, he received an email from a big fan of China's, a Boston comedian named Rob Potilo, or Potillo, who had found Anthony's contact information online. He wanted to make some comedy videos with China, but Anthony countered with a proposal. Let's create a documentary about China's comeback. We'll call it The Reconstruction of China. It would be about the reformation of mind, body, and soul. He also said, The goal in life is to be happy, and ironically, it's the only thing you have power over. What is he talking about? What? Where is this what? Um, why on earth is, first of all, he, he responding to a random comedian who I've looked up, God bless, he did not have a lot of credits at that time, so this wasn't like it was someone of note reaching out to work with her. Um, and then why also is he pitching this random person to make this documentary and then starting to go on something about mind, body, soul? Like, what is, what, what's even happening? Also, Rob had no documentary experience, but I guess was game because he had reached out about working with China. So he recommended his friend Eric Angra, an up-and-coming documentarian who had directed a number of shorts as well as edited a Ken Burns movie. He was also a cinematographer for two episodes of Vice, which is an HBO program produced by Vice Media. And honestly, I can tell you, I don't know if I hate him or Anthony more. I cannot wait to hear what your choice is in oh. the shittiest competition of all time. <laughs> Anthony pitched Eric on making a movie exploring China's rise, fall, and accomplishments as a female athlete. Eric agreed. They decided that Anthony and China would have executive producing credits, but that Eric would own the film. So Eric purchased a, a ticket for China to come from Tokyo to New York, and China started emailing her friends that she was going to be coming back to America in the late spring of 2015. Dennis Hoff, who you remember owns the Bunny Ranch brothel, begged her not to go back to L.A. This was a theme that came up from a lot of people that knew her. L.A., I think, was toxic for her. That's when she really got into the alcohol and drugs and stuff. Dennis invited her to move into the Bunny Ranch. He promised to pay for a psychiatrist, counselors, addiction specialists, everything. She looked at me in a strange way as a dad, he recalls. I was very happy to consider her a daughter because, you know, I'm a lot of things to a lot of people, which is creepy and chilling, but I guess I appreciate that he... Seem to genuinely want to help her? Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, other friends said she loved California. It just wasn't a good place for her. And then her mom said she just kind of blew her friends and family's concerns off. Yeah, Jan, because she reached out for your help when she was desperate and had no one and no options and you didn't read between the lines. Mm. That's why she blew you off. So China's preparing to leave Tokyo. She said that she... Felt like it was going to be hard to go back to L.A., feeling like she was not so glamorous. She felt like she was misconceived in the public eye, that she wasn't remembered for the great things she had done in wrestling. She, again, this is when she brings up the word monster, which she does so many times. She just feels like she was considered a monster for doing things that she didn't think was wrong. She talks about being full of anxiety, about how people were going to look at her and critique her. She says, again, I was, it was like I was a monster of her problems during that time. There was no way out of it for me. Anthony calls her and talks about the documentary saying, you gotta be you. Only you know what you've been through, but at the end of the day, it's just about being happy. All the time, period. And I just want to say, that is so much pressure to put on somebody, especially someone, like, for anyone who's ever experienced any level of depression, that is the worst thing that you could ever say, I think in general to anyone, but certainly to someone who has had times of real struggle, 
you just have to be happy all the time, period. Like, mm. that, I hate him for saying that to her so much. And and that's a, a theme that's going to come up again and again as we talk about him. He just had this toxic positivity with her where it was like, just choose to be happy. Just make the choice. Just just be happy. Like, why aren't you happy? You have to. You have to. You have to. And it's like, sometimes people just mm-hmm. aren't, dude. It's okay to not be okay. But when you try and put that pressure on someone, to me, it makes the person feel like they're even screwing that up. Like, it's an even bigger feeling of. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it again, get the blankets heat them up (laughs) i want them hot (laughs) so china arrives in new york in june of 2015 to start filming this documentary with anthony rob and eric the shooting was supposed to last a year spoiler alert china did not make it that full year uh, the footage was never released as a completed film, even though Eric bragged all over social media, which you can still find if you look him up. You can see all of his posts that the film was going to come out in 2017. He even released a trailer. Um, it didn't come out. So basically what happened was Vice bought the footage, I think probably last year, and they used it as a part of making this China documentary that came out this year. So I'm going to talk about parts of that documentary now, but do not fear. I also found lots of stuff that was not in that documentary about, but about the documentary they were making, if that makes sense. So buckle in. So they're on the way to pick her up from the airport. Anthony addresses the camera saying, day one of the year-long documentary of the reconstruction of China. By the end of all of this, she's going to face her demons, and I think we're going to get China naked, both figuratively and trust me, literally, at some point throughout the process. Two things. Uh, I didn't misspeak. He literally said figuratively uh, in a movie he was producing and would have had the power to just say, can I take that again? And then also... Why are you talking about her getting naked in the first thing you're saying to camera ever about the documentary? He's painting her in a specific picture. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, Rob Patilo kind of just seemed like a bit of a lovable weirdo overall. He was clearly obviously a super fan of hers, which didn't truthfully sit right with me either in a different way, because what are his intentions with this? Does he just want access to her? Does he want to be her friend? You know, like, it's a different kind of using, if that makes sense. Now, again, that's a speculation, complete speculation. But my alarm bells just went off when you first kind of, like, meet him in this documentary. Sure. So the two of them and Eric meet her at the airport. They all say that she seemed sober. Um, They drive to New Jersey. She's going to be doing interviews, radios, blogs, those kinds of things, talking about her comeback. And then... They were all going to embark on a road trip to California and hitting Comic-Cons on the way. And Anthony is passionate about getting her on the Comic-Con circuit for some reason. Rob said that he and Eric did not think that that was the documentary they wanted to make. He he said it felt weird, but he was like really fixated on it. So China kind of reminisces at this time about how she was at her happiest when she was wrestling, wrestling every day. She loved life. And then she experienced hardships she never could have believed she would have to. But now she felt hopeful that something good was going to happen. Meanwhile, Rob says she's showing signs already that she has not seemed ready to be on camera doing this whole thing. And all the while, Anthony is pushing her harder and harder to do these autograph signings and Comic-Cons. He's a carnival barker when they show up to these places. Like, come see China, come see China. Like, as they're walking up to the building, like, making a whole thing of it. 
She, of course, is moved by the experience, like shocked that fans are still supporting her after everything that's happened. Um, she felt so loved. She said, I get all the love and I pick up some money and I can pay my rent and be back in the States. And I can say I can be okay because you know what? You're China, which was just so sad. Like it was like she she didn't realize that like she was beloved and, and she was revolutionary and did so, so much. She got so clouded by what this other kind of life was that she had lived that she kind of thought that, again, that's all people thought of her about, but it's not true at all. Um, she would say things like, do you think people will remember me? Do you think people will care? Um, <sighs> it seemed like she was really trying to struggle between feeling confident, but also like really buying into the Triple H narrative that he p- pointed out on the Stone Cold podcast about like you know well yeah she did these things but at the end of the day she did porn you know Mm. what i mean but she tarnished her legacy was kind of what it felt like she was grappling with um it's just and then again just like seemingly just wants love so bad which is a theme we talk about so much on this show um with some of our female celebrity deaths so on her fifth day in america she apparently goes out for a night alone eric says she comes back smelling like booze Anthony's trying to keep things together because she's doing these interviews and he doesn't want to make it seem like she's fallen off the wagon already. Um, soon the behind the camera infighting starts. Eric says that in the first week he felt Anthony was treating him like a cameraman when in actuality it was it was Eric's film as they had discussed. Uh, Eric was paying for it, but apparently Anthony was telling him what to do, what to shoot. And when he wouldn't get his way, Eric said Anthony would yell um eric said after one day where they felt like they had wasted their time filming useless stuff that he started screaming at anthony uh this is my show you and china can go fuck yourselves that kind of stuff he threw anthony's stuff out of his van but then anthony apologized so eric said everything was cool and that was the beginning of their relationships so this really sounds like the perfect dynamic for china to be in doesn't it (sighs) as she's very vulnerable at this time and Mm -hmm. this is week week one oh when the road trip stopped in Las Vegas, China wanted to party at the Palms, which is a hotel and casino off the Strip. It was kind of like the hot night spot in the early 2000s, which it maybe wasn't at this point, but she loved it there. Anthony says at this time, he knew she was taking prescription meds. Things were going well, but she was binging her drugs more frequently, but it wasn't affecting the work. So keep in mind, this is very early on in this whole process. He said, we knew rehab was coming, but she felt she had it under control. So he knows she's doing drugs. He knows she needs to go to rehab, but she's keeping it together. She's fine. Cool. Um, Rob said that this time in Vegas was when he noticed that she was potentially drinking and doing drugs. Uh, He said that, you know, this this really was showing telltale signs that her demons hadn't left her. And if anything, it encouraged those demons. Yeah, no shit. It's Vegas. Anthony puts her in a celebrity poker tournament, even though she doesn't know how to play poker, which again feels like an insane way to set someone up to fail. So they just look foolish. You know what I mean? Like that's Mm -hmm. not going to up somebody's confidence at all. On day 12 of filming, China was asked if uh, she was feeling more acclimated to the U.S. She said, no, I'm not feeling acclimated at all. Coming back to all of this is kind of making me feel kind of detached. Get her to therapy. Get her to rehab. Like, she is in culture shock. She is overwhelmed. She is triggered. All of the above, it is obvious. But Eric decides to party with her instead. Okay. He claims she asked her, and he agreed. 
Um, so they end up taking pills together and going out. Uh, she apparently was running around the hotel telling people, I'm China. Don't you know who I am? He goes, it was borderline embarrassing, but I, I still grapple with feelings of guilt. I wish I hadn't gone out with her. But then Rob says that he would come back to their hotel room and brag like, oh, it's great. Like we're bonding by doing drugs together. And then he even admits, I wanted to do drugs with her so badly. I wanted to bond with her. I knew she was going through the same things I was doing. And I felt like I understood her. And I knew she knew I knew. And I knew that she knew. So that's also really, you know, a cogent thought there. <sighs> Rob says that Eric uh, seemed like he was not doing well at the time, probably because he was snorting heroin a lot and blowing meth. So these are the people that she's around. Mm. Again. Not her best interests, in my opinion. So at the end of the summer, Eric returns to Boston. China goes back to Los Angeles. She moves into Anthony's Redondo Beach condo. She felt at home. She always wanted to live in L.A. her whole life. She made it happen once, and now she was back. There's footage of her frolicking in the ocean where she seemed genuinely so excited. Uh, and then Anthony says, if you can't be happy here, you're dead. Again, not a helpful narrative for somebody battling depression or unresolved trauma or really humans in general. Thank you. Um, you see footage at this time of China playing the piano and singing. She had a cello in the apartment as well. She hadn't played since childhood, but somehow managed to pick it up and play sheet music right away, which was extremely impressive. She was obviously very musically talented. Rob says she had a wonderful childlike spirit that is always with her, but that she obviously needed help. So again, we're very early in this whole process. People are talking about, yeah, she obviously needed help, but nobody is doing anything. So she starts doing hot yoga. Anthony claims she was going to a domestic violence survivors group. I hope that she was. Um, she said she was feeling great. Uh, Rob then starts sleeping on Anthony's couch at the condo as he watched Anthony try to rehabilitate China's career. Um, Rob claims they tried to get her to do porn and they did meet with Stephen Hirsch over at Vivid and he did want her to star in more movies, but a source close to Vivid says the deal fell through solely because of Anthony, though Anthony denies that, um, hmm. which is interesting because we do know that China had reached out to them and shown interest. So it does feel like that it could be true that he maybe screwed that up or I don't know. In the fall of 2015, China was making most of her income through autograph signings, and she moved into a condo of her own down the road from Anthony. Rob moved to his own place in Hollywood, but he did continue seeing China most weeks. Now, for context, Redondo Beach is about 20 miles or 32 kilometers from Hollywood, which on the best day in L.A. traffic would take you an hour, but in normal traffic, probably two on most days. So in L.A., if you are in Hollywood and you have a friend who lives out in, you know, by the ocean— it's like they live in another state. You don't see them very often. Um, China called Eric nearly every day. Uh, he says one week she'd be saying she was clean and doing well, and then the next week she'd be saying she's doing drugs again. So Anthony, again, just keeps pushing this like, I'm happy. I'm happier than I was yesterday, and I'm not as happy as I will be tomorrow, and that's just how I live my life, and you just train yourself to do that, and you'll feel stronger. And, you know, so, you know, just make amends with your family, China. You know, it'll make you feel better. It'll make you feel happier. And it'll make your movie more interesting, won't it, Anthony? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, she's trying, She again, she's going through all, all everything that she's going through, and now he's just pushing her constantly to just choose to be happy and now make amends with her family. 
It is not the job of a manager, by the way, to do spiritual work with his client that he's also not trained or equipped to do. I don't believe he is a trained therapist or counselor of any sort. Um, make amends with her family that is not his business. And I understand it's solely to try and make, you know, scenes for the movie. Mm. Um, and we also knew that she wasn't doing well. He knew that she was binging drugs. He knew that she needed rehab and he kept pushing harder. Kenya Suda, who is the MMA fighter and also China's friend, says that China contacted him around this time saying Anthony was making her do things she didn't want to do. The first thing on that list was traveling to Miami to visit her father's grave. Now, her father died on May 15th, 2014. It is unclear how much she had seen him leading up to his death. She has talked before about having a bad relationship with all of her family members. Um, she's spoken about her father, that he's like a chameleon. One day he would be dressed like a stockbroker, the next to Hell's Angels. Uh, Hell's Angel. She said it was like he was in that movie, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which for those who don't know is a movie about con artists. And judging by the fact that she said he took out those loans in her name, mm. that tracks. She f said that she felt almost relieved when he died because otherwise she would have been over in Tokyo just waiting for her dad to come through still, which is one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard. Get the blankets. Um, Anthony said it was a very, very difficult day for her at the cemetery, but let's keep the process going. What process? Anthony, you don't have a process because you don't know what you're doing. You're, do you're, 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 and this is where it's like, you know how people talk about, like, don't mess with the dark arts? Yeah. Don't mess with the therapeutic arts. <laughs> don't mess with mental health when you don't know what you're doing. It's so irresponsible on so many levels. So irresponsible. Like, in my opinion, it's like, this is culpability. You see the picture that I'm painting here. I do. Yes. You are just filming a woman being emotionally traumatized over and over again. A woman who's already openly struggling, openly dealing with substance use issues, openly dealing with, you know, unaddressed traumas. And you're just re-traumatizing her. And not getting her help. Again, it's so irresponsible. And and I, ooh, I could go on forever. Um, Jerry, her old boyfriend, says that he thinks the documentary put her in a deep state of depression, that it pushed her further into darkness. I agree. Um, Rob says that all she wanted was to be re-embraced by the only family that ever made sense to her, which was the WWE. He also said she really wanted to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, that now this has become important to her. But I don't know if that's what the truth is or if that's just Anthony in her ear saying that that's what she wanted. Because Anthony proceeds to take her to the WWE headquarters in person without an appointment to just storm the building and say, we're going to ask for Hunter, Vince, business and legal and accounting, and hope we don't get escorted out. We're on a campaign to get her into the Hall of Fame this year. Now, of course they were not greeted favorably. Mm -hmm. Of course no one wanted to talk to them and said they were not available, because that's not how it works. If you want, you can call and try and set a meeting. It's so unprofessional. It's so embarrassing. And China said that while she was in the lobby, she saw everybody getting on the elevator. Of course, everybody who works there recognizes her. And she said she got a few smiles, but that was kind of it. And it's in that moment, I was watching this footage and I'm like, he is taking her on a parade of sadness. He is literally parading, parading her through her traumas. 
and then offering nothing to help her process any of it other than just saying, be happy, be happy, be happy. Like, it's abuse. I, I personally think this is abuse. Literally showing somebody, hey, here's that thing that really hurt you. Just be happy. Just let it go. Like, that's not how any of this works. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, Redondo Beach, Rob lived with China for three months. He said they had so much fun. They had they shot funny videos together. They did yoga on the beach together. He said they were just two outsiders. They found peace and happiness being together for those three months. They were in their own world, and he said he never wanted to let that time go. I don't know. It seemed like they genuinely got along from the footage I saw, but we do know that he was a huge fan going into this, which again just feels weird to me. I don't know whether they perhaps were dating for part of that time and then he left because they broke up. I don't know. But Rob says that when he moved to Hollywood, that's when things went off the rails. So Jan, her mom, says China called from a Comic-Con in Cincinnati saying she was very sick and that Anthony was pushing her to keep working. Jan says that at that point, she felt like Anthony was just controlling everything. Um, Rob says that Anthony only cared about the movie and how he could make himself look like this hero, like her provider. But he had no plans on how to fix her. And Rob says he thinks that he didn't actually really care that much about that. Case in point, Anthony and China are discussing her medications. He says they're going to go black market to get Ambien and Diazepam for her. And that they should keep this information from Dr. Drew, who they're about to have a conversation with, as he doesn't want to give him any information that Dr. Drew would rather not know because it could incriminate him. Not that we're doing anything illegal. I mean, it is a legal process to order medication from another country. Don't know that that's true. I mean, it is a legal process, but you still have to have a prescription. It doesn't sound to me like you do. Yeah. So they're on a speaker call to Dr. Drew. She's talking about all the medications you're on. He's like, this is a bad combination of medications. He said, it is dangerous. You need to see somebody as soon as possible. Um, he says that there's this combination of drugs is a death sentence if you're taking them all together. And she's like, well, I'm not taking them all together. He's like, right. But this is the combo, benzo and opiates, that is killing people. And he keeps saying, like, you you need to see somebody. Like, you, you need help. Like, you can't be doing this. Mm-hmm. Anthony says... In the meantime, while this stuff is dangerous, and we certainly understand that, it is keeping her, it's an evil necessity, it seems like. Dr. Drew says again, they need to see someone to help her get straightened out, that it's dangerous, and that if anything else gets slipped into the mix, it could be a catastrophe, even a little bit of alcohol could push her over the edge. He used the term death sentence more than once and advised them multiple times to please get help. I know we feel there's feelings about Dr. Drew, but I I mean, he was on that phone call saying over and over again, like, you've got to get help. You've got to go in. You can't be doing this. The note I was just writing was, Anthony, way to make me feel positive things about (laughs) Dr. Drew. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I I mean, yeah, there's there's some things you could say um, about Dr. Drew, but I mean... I think we've all seen Celebrity Rehab. Um, Of course. But Anthony, I just, I have so many things. I mean, it's very obvious. All this guy wants is this big, this movie to come out, it to get huge. He doesn't care what happens for her. He wants it to, you know, branch branch him off somewhere. 
I, again, circles back to uh, men trying to make money or make something of themselves off of people in general, but especially women and taking vulnerable people. I... Well, it's this reminds me of Marilyn Monroe and the story that we heard about um, her writer husband, whose name is Arthur oh, Miller. Piece thank of you shit. Very much. I mean, yeah. what? Who yeah. openly, openly used her to further his own career multiple times. Yeah, yeah again. Right. I like how. Well, I don't like, but like I like how uh, so many episodes keep coming back. Um, and just to uh, let you know, right now in the Anthony Eric race, Anthony's winning. He will for a bit. Mm, boy. He will for a bit. Mm, boy. Okay. Now, Eric claims he reached out to X-Pac about potentially asking the WWE to get China into rehab. Mm-hmm. He claims that in October of 2015, that WWE contacted him offering to pay for China's rehab. Eric says he pitched the idea to Anthony. Um, Eric says that Anthony... Uh, sorry, Eric says that he, the, the one deal was that he refused to film China if she went into rehab, that he wouldn't film her time in a clinic. Anthony turned down the offer saying China would never go. But it's unclear to Eric whether Anthony ever passed this info on to China, to which I say, why didn't you, Eric? This is, and see, this is where it all starts to fall apart for me because it's all well mm. and fine for Eric to say, well, I reached out to X-Pac and to the WWE and they offered for all of this. So I told Anthony, but he said no. So what was I supposed to do? Well, you had her phone. You saw her all the time. You were filming her daily. You didn't want to bring this up to her? You didn't want to give her the option? She just had a phone call with Dr. Drew who basically was saying, please, please, please get help. You didn't mm. want to give her that option? that option part of me wonders did any of that happen at all i don't know is the Mm. bottom line Mm -hmm. it could go either way um eric claims that anthony told him that there wasn't time on the schedule for rehab as they were filming an episode of botched now botched of course is the show um where they fix plastic surgery um she did film that episode um and it was rumored that she was going to be part of the show's season three premiere um which is interesting. Dr. Terry Dubrow, who is one of, of course, the doctors on Botched, said that she did appear sober and that she did not have drugs in her system that could have caused any problems during surgery at that time. So that's interesting to note as well. Now, not long after this, several weeks before her death, Anthony delayed intervening on China's drug problems once again because he said he was negotiating a deal for her to appear on intervention. Once again, wasting time trying to put together these reality show deals. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He felt like it was a good option because she'd get the best possible treatment. But the bottom line is she never got any treatment because he never did an intervention because he kept making excuses and wasting time. So Anthony told Jan that China was going to be coming to Charlotte, North Carolina to do one of these autograph signings in March, 2016. And he thought it would be great for them to reunite for the first time in 30 years on camera for the documentary. Of course, Jan says, uh, no, she wants to reunite with China, but she doesn't want to do it on camera. She thinks, you know, she'd rather that be private. He reacted very poorly. They go back and forth. Finally, Jan relents and says, "Okay, I'll do it. The day before they're set to meet up, Jan gets 
what she describes as a horrific email from China, who seemed apparently intoxicated maybe when she was writing the email. Uh, Apparently it said terrible things. And then Jan says, I wanted to see her, but not like that. So she cancels on her the day before. Yeah. Anthony then goes to give China the news that her mom is canceled and China loses it. And I want to say this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you, Anthony. Again, you are choosing these to put this person in these volatile situations with unstable people in their lives, in her life, that, of course, is going to have a negative impact. And I also have a theory. I'm very curious. Did China send her mother that email or did Anthony send her that email pretending to be China so that Jan would back out and then he's got new drama to film? Okay, if you don't want to reunite Mm -hmm. on camera, fine, I'll create something else. That's a speculation completely. I just would not put anything past this guy because some of the stuff I'll get to again, like it Mm. gets so out there, it'll make your head spin. I mean, I was already there mentally. (laughs) Yeah. Because- My instinct was like, huh, well, if she sent her mother this email that was like, these are some horrific things, whatever, whatever, and then her mother backs out, you'd think she would be like, okay, good, because these were the horrific things I'd said to her. Whereas that kind of reaction feels very like this is out of nowhere. Right. As though she wouldn't know. And totally very easy to send an email saying you're somebody else. Oh, absolutely. He had access. I'm sure he had constant access to her phone devices. Absolutely. If it was a phone call, that's different. Different. But it was an email. Come on. Come on. Yep. So the next morning, 9 a.m., he says China has been up all night. She didn't sleep at all. She was so upset. She's a train wreck. Um, His word. Uh, He says, sweetie, when we get home, you have to make some serious changes. You're going to die. Then he claims she physically picked him up and said, how dare you say that to me? You're fired. And this is where it gets so fucking dark. Mm. Anthony says, and this is from his own mouth. Anthony says, and I quote, and I started laughing at her. I'm not your manager. I'm your soulmate. So now he's just fully toxic, fully abusive, And also fully admitting it. I mean, that's like gaslighting. That's that's like deep manipulation. That's like, you can never be rid of me. We're soulmates. Like, Jesus. Gross. It's 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 to another level now. Right. Nonetheless, as we know, if she cuts someone out of her life, she sticks to it. She says, I want you out of my life. And that is the last time they talked. So there you go. He well, claims he shining light. Well, it Very is for now. Brief one. Yeah. Um, he says he was monitoring her from behind the scenes when she got home. I don't know what that entails or means. Now, the last interview she filmed for the documentary was on April 3rd, 2016, in Redondo Beach. She seems intoxicated in some way in the video. It's mm. it's hard to say. Eric was the one who conducted the interview. Um they talk about a bunch of different things, you know. In moments, she seemed confident. You know, he said, she said something about, like, she loved the WWE for making her China. And he said, did they make you China or did you make you China? And she said, both. She said, they can't do it without my talent. There isn't another China and there never will be. 
So she would say things like that that were confident or, you know, trying to be confident. But then she would kind of the pendulum would swing and and she would kind of go into the other world of just being like, does anyone really even care about this? Like those kinds of of messaging. Now, it's important to keep in mind. It was WrestleMania weekend. Triple H was headlining. She has no support system. And now Eric has decided he wants to do a deep, emotional, hard-hitting interview. (sighs) Eric talks about how every time he watches that interview, he can tell how high he was because of how his voice sounded, that it's flat and monotone, and that he's asking her all of these questions. And she's clearly asking him for help. She's talking about how she has horrible anxiety issues, that she can't sleep, she can't eat, she needs help. She asks him directly, Eric, can you help me? He just flatly replies with things like, well, how does that make you feel? Mm. China cries. It's been a long fucking 10 years, 15 years. I'm tired. I'm China. I'm a champion. My brother and my mom and then Anthony started getting involved. And I'm like, can there just be one person that can support me here? Did I do something that bad with my life? He asks, if you could go back and change something, what would you do? She says, I would never do it again. He says, never do what? And she says, never wrestling. I would have been a concert musician or a ballerina or a professional alcoholic. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just pushing buttons. And then he says, have you been drinking today? And she goes, no, not yet. I think she had been. Um, And then... In the documentary, Eric has this quote, again, which I transcribed because I need you to hear every word of it. And I know you thought like, oh, well, Eric, like, uh, he seems like whatever. He says, would I have been more proactive to help her? Would I have been better ethically to like figure out what the right decision was? Or was it because I was on heroin, I could very coldly interview her and ask her these questions when I knew she was endangering herself? So he got the footage that he wanted because he was on heroin. And when she looked him in the face and said, Eric, can you help me? He ignored her. After the interview, Rob says that Eric said to her, said to him, well, she seems fine. And Rob says he screamed at him, get her help. And to that I say, but why didn't you, Rob? Where are you in all of this? Mm. You know? Hmm? You know, and Eric was like, oh, you don't have to be like that. We'll see what we can do. Well, a week passes. On April 10th, China sent her mother several incoherent emails offering different explanations for her split with Anthony. Anthony are taking and Anthony and I are taking a little break for the moment. Anthony took chargers and money. Jan is unsure what she meant by chargers. Anthony denies stealing anything from China. Um, around that same day, she posted a video of herself online and she had a huge black eye. Extremely sad. We don't know how she got it. She could have fallen. I don't know. Anthony sees the video, then decides she needs help. So what does he do? He calls intervention back and says to the TV show, now it's time. We've got to move. Instead of just intervening, because obviously this is escalating by the day, um, he's like, you know, we can start shooting in eight or nine days. So they set a day that she's going to go into the Betty Ford Clinic for 90 days The intervention was planned for a Thursday about a week away. Rob says that at the time he was like, let's get her help now. Again, Rob, what I I know that maybe you don't have the means, but like, I don't. What were you doing is, again, my point. I'm sorry, but like someone needed to just bite the bullet and nobody did. 
April 17th, Eric is supposed to go over to her apartment to hang out with her, but he did heroin instead and canceled on her, making up the lie that he was sick. She left him a voicemail that night checking in on him. She was trying to be positive in the voicemail, um, talking about the film and about life. At the end of the voicemail, she told him she loved him. Like a like a love you buddy type type vibe. Right. I don't know if he ever returned her call or not. Her lawyer, Sam Perlmutter, was trying to reach her for a couple of days, but when he couldn't, he called Anthony, who showed up to her apartment building on April 20th to check her with a cameraman to film him. Of course. Anthony says, smiling, smiling, my hope is that she had just lost her cell phone. It's chilling because it's almost like he was giddy talking about how he was about to find her dead. So apparently China was living in like a condo apartment building style building, and she apparently didn't lock the door to her unit ever. Um, This is the story they tell. So he was able to just walk in. When he found her, she was in her bed, lying on her right side, with her head rested on a stack of pillows. A pool of blood and foam that came from her nose was on the pillow under her face. She was wearing a black tank top and multicolored patterned pants. He filmed the entire thing. Come on. Anthony said, I kind of knew. I turned to the corner, looked in her, like he, he felt like he knew she was going to be dead. I turned the corner, looked in her bedroom, and there she was, lying in her bed, as peaceful as she could be. Now, my question is, did he just happen to show up with a cameraman or did he go earlier and find her and then go and get one and come back? That's another theory. That's a speculation. I'm alleging from my own brain, but I wouldn't put anything past this guy because either way, showing up in that situation with a cameraman when someone is not being responsive and you know what you might find is deplorable. Mm. Anthony uh, allegedly called her famous friends to give them the news, but did not call Jan. Uh, Six o'clock that day, Eric called Rob and just said, China's gone, dude. Anthony found her this morning. Rob says he's seen the footage of him finding China dead. And he says Anthony brags that he has that footage. Rob says anyone in their right mind who thinks that's worth anything but destroying afterwards has problems. And I'd say I agree, but I also don't know that I would want to watch that footage myself. My two cents. Um, An L.A. coroner ruled her death was caused by a lethal mixture of alcohol and prescription drugs. The relaxants were Valium, Nordiazepam. The painkillers were Oxycodone and Oxymorphone, and the sleep aid was Temazepam. Uh, This is exactly what Dr. Drew was warning about. It was combining... Those kinds of things. Her sister, Kathy, says she thinks it was accidental, but also thinks that she was just tired of putting up a good fight and just wanted some peace. Jan gave Anthony permission to have her cremated. She told him to take three quarters of the ashes and scatter them in the Pacific Ocean and send her the the other quarter, which he did. Except he didn't scatter all of them because he kept a quarter of them for himself. Anthony put on a memorial service at the Redondo Beach Performing Arts Center and asked Jan to come. She told him she wouldn't because she assumed he would have cameras there and because she thought she would be too emotional. She did sign a document allowing him to collect China's belongings and use some of her remaining money to pay for the memorial. Afterwards, he was supposed to send all that remained of her belongings and money to Jan. Uh, Since China didn't have a will under California law, Jan would have been the benefactor. Sure. Anthony's memorial was... A mess, uh, in my opinion. He waited until June, so it would be the one-year anniversary of her return to the U.S. At the event, he stood on stage 
holding a garishly bedazzled urn with her name on it. He then lifted it in the air and yelled, The bitch is in the house! And then, Sup, girl! Then, he encouraged the audience to, to take selfies with the urn. Oh, and I, I actually, that actually like made my stomach turn to even have to say. I, I, that is like. Nope. I'm sorry. Like that's, that's, it's the first time I almost went. Like that to me is just so sick. How, so sick. Uh, a Mormon choir sang renditions of pop songs like What's Going On, Drops of Jupiter, and All Star. A Mormon choir sang, Hey now, you're an all star. It's impossible not to laugh because that is so wildly inappropriate um, and truly wild. Um, also, train was your choice. Uh, yeah. Um, drops of Jupiter in her hair. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. That one, I can kind of, I don't know. Hey now, you're an all star. There, Smash Mouth. I I just oh, want to say Smash Mouth is never the choice, but <laughs> just um, not at a funeral, not in a memorial. Yeah, not a memorial. Uh, yeah. I just. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. she listens to Mozart while she does Thai bow. Reminds you that there's room to grow. Yay! I yeah. love yeah. that. Yeah. You Did know I those have words? Oh, no, I, I know. So much I could go into a full tell me, but I won't. But I won't listen. It, I know get, the full. Song. We're getting real close for having to pay to have to pay for this thing. <laughs> the point is, I, I I have many a burnt CD that used to have that song on it. Of so, course, you know. Of course. Well, you know who else did Anthony? But also, um, please thank you for that. Please, yep. I yeah, I liked it a lot. I I I don't ever want that song in and around my memorial. No, no. I'll come up with so, something that I want. It, well, <laughs> yeah, listen, we've got time. Um, yeah. Lots of time, God willing. Yeah. Uh, so throughout the two and a half hour evening, Anthony encouraged the crowd to buy a limited edition China Memorial T-shirt, claiming all the proceeds would go towards a new nonprofit called the Ninth Wonder of the World Association, which would be raising funds for animal rights and children's education, which is a real... Modge Podge, and of course I know what you're going to ask, and no, the IRS does not show any organization or 501c under that name existing in that place at that time, mm-hmm. and he has said, if they would have just let me do what I was doing, that foundation would be up and running. There would be money now coming into it, but now mom's getting it all. So he admits that it was basically a sham. He gave away China's cello, and he concluded the evening by singing a song as a slideshow of photos of the two of them played on a giant screen, he never mentioned that China had fired him a few weeks prior. I mean, the fact that he was managing to make this event about himself is wild. Um, a few weeks later, uh, Jan watched a video of the memorial and learned that Anthony had been auctioning off China's belongings for this alleged charity. Jan had obviously never given him permission to do this. So in October, she crowdsourced legal funds and took Anthony to court. He didn't show up, so a judge granted her the right to be the executor of her estate. Anthony has refused to ship Jan the items, saying that she needs to come and get them herself. 
Jan has taken legal action for lack of compliance in this matter, but I am unsure about whether that's been resolved or is still ongoing. I could not find any sort of uh, record of that. After her autopsy, China's brain was donated to study the effects of CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and so I should have really written this one out. Uh, well, and so, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll post, we'll post the word. <laughs> Um, I could I could make guesses on what word that is, but I, it's it's rough. Um, yeah. but we'll call it CTE. However, uh, her brain had decomposed to a point where it couldn't be definitively determined whether she had CTE or not. I don't know why it would have decomposed to that point. I could not find any answers about that either, which seems odd. How many days was she there? She was dead three days before they found her. So maybe they maybe they they that was too much time for them to do their tests. I guess that's possible. Oof, for this geez. specific thing. CTE side note, which is also a true crime side note within a side note. This is a two for one side note. <laughs> I the the Sunday 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 <laughs> tone really uh really set that one off. I like Thank you so lot. much. In June 2007, WWE superstar wrestler Chris Benoit murdered his wife, suffocated mm. the, the couple's seven-year-old son to death, and then committed suicide by hanging himself with a weight machine cable. Over the years, researchers have found the, the effects of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, encephalopathy, CTE, was a major factor in his brain functioning during the time of the apparent double murders and suicide. His dad permitted his brain to be examined, Chris's brain to be examined, and the findings concluded that he was suffering from CTE, which is considered a common syndrome amongst athletes who suffer multiple head injuries in contact sports, such as concussions. Um, this includes an increased risk of depression and cognitive impairment, and it should be noted that this was a time during the WWE where chair shots were really huge, like you referenced earlier oh, right. towards Vince McMahon. Uh, <laughs> and Chris Benoit specifically was known to take a lot of chair shots to the head. Um, so he mm. basically got hit in the head with those folding metal chairs a lot. Now, two years after this horrific crime, wrestler Test, a.k.a. Andrew James Robert Patrick Martin, died after overdosing on oxycodone. It was later discovered by a forensic pathologist that his brain also showed signs of CTE. Random Hollywood side note within a two-for-one side note. Test dated WWE diva Stacey Keebler from 2001 until 2005. Remember who else dated Stacey Keebler? George Clooney from July 2011 to July 2013. And remember how people thought that it was crazy that George Clooney was dating a female wrestler? Yet when Matt Damon started dating a wait waitress, no one questioned it? Isn't everything fun? <laughs> <laughs> I just remember during that time, everyone was like, I can't believe George Clooney is dating a wrestler. Like, he's this great actor or whatever. And it's like, but wait a minute. Like, what? It, wh who, she's gorgeous and seems very articulate and smart and fun. How dare you? I had completely forgotten about George that Clooney. That was my hope. That um, was my hope. Yeah. I had not I had not forgotten about George Clooney. Let me rephrase that. I I never forget about George Clooney. I never forgot what? um I mean, I guess for me there was no one before them all. Of course, well, <laughs> I hear you. I I, hear you. I could not be happier for them. Um uh, yeah, look, I, it's the concept 
I, like, I can't believe Matt Damon um, not only dated, but also then married and has been with for decades, I believe now, um, a waitress, bartender, I believe she was at the time. Um, and that, like, uh, people have such a thing with a ce- when a celebrity dates us normal people, right? And I just love that they let that go. But we're like, oh, but a wrestler is a different level and it's like oh because not only are they acting they're also incredibly athletic yeah okay i can give you a list of wrestlers i wish i dated 100 percent, and that's my whole point and i'm not shaming uh serving servers at all i was merely pointing out that you know matt damon george clooney both you know famous leading men all of the above and no one has ever said two words about him dating and then marrying his wife but then as soon as george Clooney is dating stacy keebler people are like oh my god and i just it, again it's it's just more of that stuff i've been talking about um which is like people and their judgments and i against women and i hate it yeah. um so this all brings me to one point that i want to make and i would be remiss if i didn't i'd be remiss if i didn't bring this up Uh, There is an inordinate amount of premature deaths amongst professional wrestlers. A 2014 study by Eastern Michigan University examined pro wrestlers who were active between 1985 and 2011, and the mortality rates for pro wrestlers are up to 2.9 times greater than the rate for men in, you know, the general United States population. Mm. So the mortality rate is also higher than in the rest of athletes in other sports. Um, Experts think that it could be a combination of how physical the business is, there's no off-season, the drug culture of the 70s and 80s, Um, there's also a higher death rate largely towards cardiovascular disease, which I will say, steroids, they make your muscles grow. Your heart is a muscle. So if you connect the dots, you got to be careful because if you're using a lot of steroids, you you can mess up your heart bad. That's just a fact. Um, so heart attacks, drug overdoses, and suicides are extremely prevalent amongst wrestlers, like, like a lot. And I found a list of all the wrestlers who have died before the age of 65, which is considered premature, but it's so many, it's, it's hundreds, like it's staggering. So I just, I decided for our purposes, I was going to narrow it down and only look at specifically WWE wrestlers because China primarily worked for the WWE sure. during her career. And I also looked at those between the ages of 27 and 49, because that's extremely premature. And again, it was there were so many. It was like, I got to narrow this down just to do a sample, just to see, again, for our science. Um, so to date, all of the wrestlers who've worked for the WWE who died between the ages of 27 and 49 there was 81 people. Seven oh of them God. were women. Yeah. Seven were women. Statistically in the U.S., the average age for a first heart attack in men is 65. Okay? Of these people who died, 23 were from heart attacks or heart failure, and six were for pulmonary issues and blood clots, which is connected to the heart and the respiratory system. So I would, I would lump that together. Sure. So that's 29 out of 81. I mean, that's wow. more than a third. Um, so to also, and again, normally men are not having heart attacks 
again, statistically, until 65. And all of these people I'm talking about are between 27 and 49. Um, Now, I should also note that a lot of these heart attacks were listed as involving drugs. So that's another thing to remember. Of the 81 Mm -hmm. people, 11 committed suicide. A lot of those deaths also listed drugs. Um, 11 were just straight-up drug overdoses. Six car wrecks. And then... Six to cancer, which is another thing. And then the rest were, you know, unknown deaths. There was, you know, an aneurysm, a shooting. It was kind of a a, a hodgepodge with the rest of them. But I just think it's an interesting thing to note that that it is a world that there is this kind of very short lifespan that you can work at that job. And then it really does shorten your lifespan. I mean, statistically, when you start to look at it, and again, I'm just giving a very quick example. If you really start to get into the data and break it down, it, it, it is staggering. Um, and that wrestling lifestyle is very hard. I mean, you're on the road for over 300 days a year, sometimes more. You're away from your family and people you love. Drugs, drinking is very prevalent. Uh, you're using your body in a way that most people don't with no downtime. Perhaps you need substances, um, to literally numb your pain or to figuratively numb your pain. And then when you add in things like CTE, which we've been learning about, depression, other mental health issues, it's a disaster. It's it's a recipe for disaster for these people. I mean, look, <laughs> this this particular episode just keeps... We've gotten on an escalator heading yep. sadly down. Yeah. And it <laughs> yes. just yep. keeps yep. taking us in. Yeah. So look, since I mucked up the first one, yep. I want to take just one more break so Do I it. can prove to the good people that I can transition like a pro. So yep. we will be back with our thoughts on pro wrestler China on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back from that, if I may, seamless break. Uh, Before that, my lovely co-host was absolutely knocking it out of the park with her research. Uh, So, Lauren, why don't you bring it on home? I am going to bring it home. We've reached the point of this truly tragic tale when I'm going to tell you who I think is culpable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Number one. 
Eric. <laughs> and if you didn't think so before, I've saved the most choice quote of oh, his. Oh, no. <laughs> and again, I transcribe these word for word. And I quote, It's really hard to watch, but only because I was, like, there. I think I didn't really want this to be my film, right? You're the guy who all let China down? That's what I would say. And now it's going to be like, you're the guy who was the addict who let China die? Who's also an addict? That's what happened. But I didn't let her die. I mean, I let her die. I did. Even on April 20th, 2017, a trailer was released for Wrestling with China. Uh, as I said before, he posted about it all over his social media. Um, promoting a project before you finished it is such a risk. And he never finished it. And uh, it's kind of almost like something you would do if you had a really high-profile project and you wanted to use that to leverage other high-profile work. But that's just a speculation. Mm. Number two. Anthony. Now... I can't believe that these words are about to come out of my mouth, but I will say this. Dr. Drew had some wise words. <laughs> <laughs> we tease Dr. He's, Drew. He seems do. like someone with lawyers. He does. Um, no, but this actually resonated with me, and I thought it was worth sharing, and I will paraphrase. But basically what he was saying was, People have a grave lack of understanding about healing the past. And when you're talking about addiction, the past is a low priority in that the here and now takes precedence. So when you're dealing with addiction, you have to deal with what's happening in this moment more than anything. Deal with it first. Deal with, with what's happening in this moment. Then build the capacity back to regulate your emotions. And maybe then and only then you can start to look inward, but only if the person wants to. And then he said, and this was this was the thing that resonated, it does nothing to magically confront your abusers except stir you up more and make you want to use, which is really, really what we watched and in the documentary and and I read more about and I regurgitated here for all of you um, because that's exactly what it is. Anthony put China on this, quote, program to healing that he made up just trying to force her to be happy and face her estranged family. In my opinion, this is only my opinion. Had she not gone on that, quote, journey with him, I think this could have had a different ending. There, I said it. Don't come for me. Number three, Rob. And I'm sorry, Rob, you seem very sweet, but you did just stand there yelling for people to help, and it feels like maybe you could have done more yourself. Again, I'm just painting a picture. Don't come for me. Again, he doesn't seem like a bad guy, but we, we're impartial on the show. Sure. Number four. And this is, this is the real, this is the controversy. This is the one people might come at me for, and if they do, fine. But I'm going to say what I want to say. Her mother, Jan. I'm going to go there. Yeah. Jan once said she was searching for China for years and that, quote, she just didn't want to be found. But you know what? She did want to be found when she called you that day from Tokyo. That was a scared little girl who really needed her mother. And you told her to go get a job at McDonald's. 
And then you canceled on her the day before you were set to see her for the first time in 30 years. I don't care what she said or what she did in that email to you. Do not say you were searching for her and that she didn't want to be found because you pushed her away when she needed you the most. You are the mother. She is the child. And she can tell you she hates you because you screwed up. You abandoned her that day, and it's your job not to abandon her. And if she wants to kick and scream and be shitty, guess what? It was your job to be the bigger person because you're the mother. You failed her. Shame on you. This is going to sound really creepy, but I wish I was in your house with a warm blanket right now. (laughs) (laughs) I just... I know that many are going to say that it takes two to tango and whatever, and I get that it does, but I'm sorry. She was, she's, at the end of the day, she was a child when she left. Yeah. She was a child when she left. She was 16. Yeah. And I, I, I stand by that if China sent that email, I think that was trauma. I think that was fear. I think that was her being like, I've got to push this woman away because I got to hurt her before she hurts me type situation. And... I, I, it makes me very sad that she made the choices that she did because I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for China. Also, it should be noted in 2016, Jan began controlling China's social media accounts. She kept the Twitter account open for fans, but deleted all of China's personal tweets. One post told followers that the family had made peace with Triple H and the WWE. Well, I don't forgive him. I'll hold that grudge for China forever. I don't forgive WWE either. I, no. Where are you? This is the second part I wanted to check in on. Where are you with your anger for Vince? Oh, at this um, I followed my uh, Arnold level. I'm going to keep it in level yeah. of Arnold. Um, sure. I, and then we'll check in at yeah. the very end after I'm done everything. I now. was at Predator. Yeah. I've gone to Terminator. Sure. And I think if pushed more... I'll go full on Conan, the destroyer. <laughs> Let's see if we get yeah. you there. So I have some closing thoughts mm-hmm. and then I'll I'll throw it over sure. to you. First of all, just a couple pieces of information. Eric was charged with possession and distrib- distribution of drugs, um, which I thought was uh, good to note. Anthony and Eric lost complete control of the film, of course. which I think was also good to know. Uh, the general consensus from people who knew her is that China never really recovered from getting fired from the WWE. It was tired, tied to a very personal betrayal for her and caused her to have to struggle to make a living for the rest of her life. She literally had to legally change her name to China in order to use it since the WWE owned that copyright. She had found an identity in the WWE and a family, and in the snap of the fingers, she lost it all. Mick Foley actually had an amazing quote about her. He said, Physical strength is often accompanied by a vulnerability. Joni was not prepared for the emotional pain that can be caused when you are an open dreamer, living in the land of Oz, searching for acceptance from total strangers. Mm. That was so beautifully said, and so true. China was found dead approximately four hours before Prince died, which I also feel is just... So unjust that even in her death, she was overshadowed. When she got a memorial on WWE Raw, they buried it in the second hour. Again, even in her death, she was pushed aside. In interviews shortly after her death in 2016, Triple H said he 
thought that she definitely warranted a place in the Hall of Fame. And Stephanie McMahon said she was sure China would be inducted, but just didn't know what year it would happen. So all that bluster and all that torture that they put her through when she was alive, she was announced as an inductee into the WWE Hall of Fame Class of 2019 on February 18th, 2019, as a part of D-Generation X. Triple H spoke to ESPN of the complexities he mentioned on the 2015 Austin podcast, but after describing her in-ring accomplishments, he said she 100% deserves the honor. Yeah, no shit. Although, she was being inducted as a part of a group. Triple H said she also deserves to be inducted a second time for her individual career. Shawn Michaels also endorsed that idea, saying that of all the people in the group and D-Generation X as a whole is deserving, but I don't think there's anyone that would argue that China is the most deserving of an induction. I just love that they did this to her while she was alive, and then as soon as she died, it was like, oh yeah, we'll give it to her. Again, gaslighting, gaslighting her even beyond the grave. You can't have this. You're not good enough. Mm -hmm. You've done too much. You're not a good enough person to be there. Of course. Then she dies. And then, of course, she deserves to be there. Of course, we're going to put her in. And they put her in. I That made my blood boil. Uh, Vincent Russo thinks that when China died, she didn't really have any idea of the impact she had on millions of women across the globe. He says that a lot of that had to do with the company where you achieved all that you did literally was convincing you over the years that you are nothing. But she broke down barriers. She made a difference for women, which I totally agree with. I mean, it it really was a time where we so needed female heroes, and she definitely was one um, entering the WWE like she did. Um, Also, this is just a fun side note. Uh, There is a deleted scene from Amy, the Oscar-winning documentary, about another gal I'd like to wrap in a blanket, Amy Winehouse, Uh, where she begs her manager to let her eat at a WWE-themed restaurant called The World because she loved China so much. She said the superstars get there, and they get drunk, and they buy people drinks. China's been there. I just thought that was so charming, and I love Amy Winehouse, and I love China, and I was like, oh, my God, I would just wish that we could have this girl group um, of these ladies who were taken too soon. So, of course... I've gotten to the very end and I've held it together. Uh, I got tried twice very hard. If I get through this, I'll be a really good actor. (laughs) But I wanted to leave with one final thought. Fuck. Okay. Ah, All right. During her final... (sighs) You're doing great. During her final interview, Eric asked China if she would do it all over again. Part of her answers through tears was... Don't ever be famous if you're a woman. Go be a doctor or a lawyer. Go marry a rich guy. Just don't get famous because they will destroy you. And I think if we've learned anything doing this show, we know she's right. Uh, reporting for True Kind of Cocktails, this is Lauren Ash. Oh, that quote, that quote just destroyed me. It just destroyed me when I heard her say it. I, I didn't hear her say it. I read it. I was just like, that is, that is, oh, God. Get the blankets. I'm going to need a real big one because she was very tall. (laughs) Here's the thing. Yeah. Um, You have brought us to a level that the notes I've taken aren't going to (laughs) reach. 
<laughs> I'm so sorry. No, Again, no. I really thought uh, I could get through it without Never crying. apologize for being uh. yourself. And uh, we don't deserve you. Oh, so bless say that. it. I've, I've bless numbered it. these, um, I guess, in order of import. I don't know what my numbering system is. I'm I off love it. the rails mentally. Oh, you, you and me both. One, uh, I love that our Anna Nicole Smith episode led to this moment. I know. I love that so much because we discussed <laughs> in the episode, should we do that? Maybe we will. And they did. Yep. Um, two, Eric, how do you sleep at night? Yeah. Three, <laughs> Anthony and Zaldo, and I hope I said that incorrectly, <laughs> stop telling someone how they're supposed to feel. And while you're at it, fuck off. Please and thank you. My extra bit of three, because I, I learned it after and I felt it was more important to say before I got to point four. WWE, how dare you? <laughs> four. Okay, so Arnold level. I was Predator. I was Terminator. Yeah. I may have done like a quick jump to like... Uh, one of those. What else did he do? Like, uh, there's a word. There's well, a uh, 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 something about fire. I can't remember. Oh, I may have. I may have briefly stepped to like commando, but I have yeah. definitely hit Conan the Destroyer. And I yeah. would like it to be noted. I am more comfortable with my level at like kindergarten cop or maybe twins. Um, I'd say True Lies because that is one of my favorite movies of all time. But in that world, I would rather be my badass birthday buddy, one Miss Jamie Lee Curtis. Absolutely. Shout out of to course. Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, this is the moment Jamie Lee Curtis finds out we share a birthday and I could not be more thrilled about it. I've just told I love that. my birthday. It's fine. It's where, it's where we're at. That'll um, help. yeah, that'll happen. Uh, five. Well, actually, no. We'll go to this one first. I, you wouldn't know which one was five, which wasn't. Jesus, Christy. <laughs> five. Uh, I would watch the hell out of an Amy Winehouse, China, odd couple type reality oh, show. I want them the as best. roommates. I would watch it. Um, And I guess six. Uh, and this will be my final note. Terms you used tonight that I'd like <laughs> to be used to describe us. Hmm. Attitude era. <laughs> Literal revolution. <laughs> yes. Amazing presence. Mm. And lovable weirdo. <laughs> I think I can safely say we are all of so those again, things. I think that I, I, I came a different angle <laughs> than your beautiful, uh, heartfelt, raw <laughs> Uh, no pun intended. Um, moment, and <laughs> I was like, "Well, if I was in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, no, it's good. It, it, this is what we call undercutting the joke. So, uh, or or under like not undercutting the joke. Sorry, like the joke undercuts the the drama. So, sure. like I was crying, but then you have to give them a joke because we can't leave the mummy crying." Because then it's like, oh, God, <laughs> is she OK? <laughs> is she OK? Uh, then they feel unsafe. You know what I mean? And we right. need to tell them that it's like, no, 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 no. Guess what? 
as soon as we log, as soon as we say goodbye, I'm going to go to my dryer. I'm going to open it up and there's going to be a piping hot blanket and I'm just going to put myself in it like the cutest little burrito in the world. Yeah. I'll be fine. <laughs> no, I, uh, I am. Yeah, no, I tried really hard to get through that one. I don't. There's something about China. And I think it's just because I spent a lot of time with her this week, too. Sure. And I know that this sounds odd, but I can watch content of other celebrities who have passed. And remember that they've passed. But for some reason, all week as I was watching stuff with her, I would forget. I I felt like she is so larger than life in terms of like just her presence and persona and and everything that I would be like, oh, right, she's passed. Like I I kept having to remind myself. Um, And I think she this one just really and I know it's odd. Sometimes the ones really cut us or or I'll speak for myself cut me that I don't necessarily see coming and this is one that it just it cut me learning and watching about how this person who was so loving and trusting and loyal just got so kind of you know tossed aside and you know it's interesting too because I was talking to Spencer about it and she he was like oh it's too bad that she didn't like try to open a gym or whatever and I was like Yes, but you're also expecting like this person, she also a wasn't getting paid. So it's not like she had a ton of savings from the WWE yeah. um, wasn't getting paid what she was worth. I mean, and then like she, it was a huge loss. She lost her partner of almost four years who she thought she was going to marry. She <laughs> lost her job out of nowhere. She lost her family. She lost her identity. She lost her name. I mean, to try and pivot in that moment is a lot to ask of anyone. Um you know, and, and she also, like, logistically didn't have the capital. So it's like, it's, it's, uh, I just don't think that there was really any easy solution for her. And without a support, fa- a support system, I mean, that's, yep, wrap her up. Wrap her up in a beautiful fleece. Look. Lauren Elizabeth Ash. Mm-hmm. Your research. I mean, you go above and beyond, and I could not be prouder I learned of what me. you've become. <laughs> 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 oh, learned from the best. You're, no, no, we, we 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 got out of the moment. We were supposed to. <laughs> we, we were we undercutting. Were, we were undercutting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you for your research. Thank you for taking us on an absolutely heart-wrenching journey. Um, Yep, my pleasure. My specific note, because I had complete faith that it was going to happen, your research as always, and I'm going to read this as I wrote it, and I'm sorry. I can't wait. Top-notch, m'lady. (laughs) Thank you so much. I don't know where I am half the time, folks. Oh, man. And thank you, dear listeners, for taking this journey with us. We appreciate the support, as always. Uh, And, you know, also, as always, give us a follow on the socials. You can find us at True Crime and Cocktails on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, or on Twitter, at Not Detectives. And if you find that nearly three hours a week isn't enough, and you want even more time with these two chuckleheads, you can check out our bonus content at patreon.com slash truecrimeandcocktails, 
We've got polls for future episodes. We've got bonus episodes. We've got live Q&As that border on three hours long. I can safely say it has become the highlight of our month. It's a lot of fun. So be sure to check it out if you are so inclined. Now, Lauren, do you want to tell the people what our next episode is going to be? On the next True Crime and Cocktails, The Black Dahlia. (gasps) We've been asked about this one from the beginning and the get-go people are like what took you so long and we're like well but if we already did it it would be long gone and you wouldn't have the week of anticipation leading up to it now so we're sorry we waited but you're welcome exactly (laughs) that's where i'm at uh lauren would you like to say good night to the people good night everybody good night Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.